Hello, my name is Garrison Lovely, and I'm not that interesting, but this is the most interesting people I know. Conversations on science, ethics, and politics. Today's guest is Elida Gold. Elida is the amusement and managing editor of Current Affairs magazine. She is also the co-editor of the Current Affairs Big Book of Amusements, a full-color collection of some of the wonderful amusements that have appeared in the pages of Current Affairs, in addition to some brand new ones. The Current Affairs print edition is chock-full of beautifully illustrated activities, quizzes, lists, comics, and more that are often the brainchild of Lida. Some example amusements. The best sex positions for conceiving an employable child. Is your feminism angry enough? And which authoritarian will I vote for? Lida also appears on the Current Affairs podcast, my biggest competitor, as well as my primary source of guests. On today's episode, we cover feminism, Steven Pinker, IQ, feminist utopias, whether the patriarchy is dead, cancel culture, Louis C.K., Aziz Ansari, changing norms around consent, Joe Rogan and his new lefty guests, comedy and whether any topics are off limits, Mark Fisher's essay, Exiting the Vampire's Castle, and the limits of identity politics. This will probably be the most controversial episode I've released so far. Uh, Lida is no stranger to controversy herself. So if you want to yell at me, you can find me on Twitter at glovely1. Here is Lida Gold. Lida, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here in my apartment with yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> this is uh, Current Affairs New York headquarters, right? Yes, which is also my apartment. Coming to you live, um, <laughs> except not. Uh, you're the first guest, I think, to cook me dinner before uh, before a show. So What's wrong with the other guests? I, you know, it's tough. Like, they could send it to me by the mail, many of them, but... Yeah, people, mail dinner? Yeah, yeah. That'd be a fun startup. It's like shut-ins, you know? Yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> I leave my apartment, I assure you. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, and also the first guest where I've had some wine before the episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how this goes. This might be a total disaster. We could be wine moms. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Wine moms dishing about this Bernie Sanders and his plans. He's so cute, don't you think? (laughs) You know, I won't go there. Okay, so I just want to start off. You don't have to find him cute. I'm not Bernie is adorable. No, he is. He is. He is. And I I think think Nathan Robinson actually said, like, you know, one of the low-key best things about a Bernie Sanders presidency is that Larry David on yes. SNL? Like SNL could actually be funny. Yes, Larry David would be there. Oh my! It, it, that was seriously the best bit they've done in yeah. years. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Larry David as Bernie is oh, basically yeah. not acting at all. <laughs> they're cousins. Are they really? They're really. They're like not like first cousins, but yeah. they're like yeah, That's distant amazing. cousins. That's great. Oh, I love it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, let, let's get into it. Um, so, what? How would you define feminism? Oh, really? Yeah, we're really. Doing it. We're you're doing just it. you're just throwing that. Right at me. Yep, throwing down the gauntlet. Uh, well, the, one of the more popular definitions is it's the radical idea that women are people, wow. um, okay. which I think is a pretty sums it up pretty well. Like, it, and 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 people get men get very upset and they get very scared about feminism. A lot of women get upset and scared about feminism because they don't know what it is. Very few people. I don't want to say nobody, but very few people are going out arguing that women deserve like some kind of very special rights we need to be treated very specially we just want to be treated like human beings and i think most people don't realize the extent to which they don't treat women like human beings and that comes uh sorry there's apparently crimes going on in the neighborhood uh (laughs) very very uh safe out here oh no the the man police are coming for me because they're talking about (laughs) feminism no they've been called they've been called um but yeah it's there are material ways in which women aren't treated like people. There's, you know, pay gaps. There's uh, sexual harassment in the workplace, that kind of thing. And then there's also just like lots of subtle things. And this is a lot of what 
liberals tend to focus on maybe excessively um, media portrayals of women, which in the aggregate, I don't think individually, but in the aggregate do have a real effect about how you think of women and how you think of their interiority. A lot of men don't think of women as having interiority, which is like a really fun, terrible thing to realize. So could you just define that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know how like you as a person, speaking to everybody, you as a person have your your thoughts in your brain mm-hmm. and you you know, you go around your, your life and you like react to things and you, you have thoughts and dreams and, and feelings. I, it's a problem that a lot of men don't realize women have that. They have it the same way that men have it. They have it as much as men have it. They are thinking as much about things as you are. They actually are, we are actually are conscious beings with our own inner lives. Um, and you would be shocked how many men don't get that. They just literally don't understand. Maybe they understand very few women in their lives, but not for everybody. Hmm. And they think of women as being essentially non, non-mental beings. They think it was just as being bodies. So that's pretty wild. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> not a great thing. Yeah, it's, it's funny that it's become this like pejorative uh, to be a feminist. Oh, yeah. Where like, if you ask most people, like, do men and women deserve equal rights in like all the meaningful yeah. ways, probably say like, yes. Yeah. I mean, a feminist has been a pejorative for, forever. There's um, wonderful cartoons from the 20s making fun of suffragettes. Hmm. Um, there's one, there's, I love this one. It's of a little black cat and the cat is saying, I want my vote. It's like, yeah, like, it's like, it's an early cat meme, basically, yeah. <laughs> but from the 20s. I want my vote. And it's because in, and you know, and, and, and other depictions of suffragettes, they're, they're heritons, they're, you know, blue stocking, I don't know if you know that term, where blue stocking is like a woman who is really smart and studies a lot and don't really know how that connects to blue stocking or some history there. Um, I assume it's something that they wore. Yeah. But yeah, this idea that, you know, feminist is, is ugly, is un- unmarried or unmarriable, is, you know, a heritin, is, is overly intellectual, um, that's been around as long as, as feminism has been around and probably longer even than that. And it's not, you know, it's, it's just, it's a very convenient thing for people to believe. And it's very, it's, it was convenient in first wave feminism, it was convenient in second wave feminism. It's convenient now. Um, you see all kinds of memes about, you know, these, these awful blue haired feminists who are fat, who are, you know, un, unattractive, unmarriable. It's the same shit. Hmm. Different year, same shit. Yeah. That, that is funny how it always repeats itself. And yeah. Everybody who's demanding just justice and equity is being called the new oppressor, right? Oh, yeah. Social justice warriors are the, are the oppressors. Yeah. Just, oh, my God. I don't know how often I walk down the street and I'm oppressed by a social justice warrior. Social justice warriors and you're arresting people in my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Deporting in in them. Brooklyn, it's quite bad, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that actually might be a thing in Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, it, it, there are probably some cases. Yeah, that is a, you know what? That's, but you know what? They'd probably have it coming. <laughs> Even social justice warrior as a pejorative is an interesting, it's an interesting development. And, yeah. you know, how it, how it began in its relatively recent history. You know, people who argue that things shouldn't be so terrible. Most of the time, that's what people are arguing, just things shouldn't be so terrible, things shouldn't be so unequal. And they're like, oh, you're just a warrior for social justice, which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you ask somebody, like, is, this, is society just? Like, I don't think anybody would say yes. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh, is it appropriate to fight for a just society? They'd probably also say yes. <laughs> you put those things together. Well, it's funny because if you ask people why, what about the society is unjust? I think from a fair number of especially well-off white men, you'd get a completely different story about what's unjust. And they'd say, oh, me too is what's unjust about it. You know, mm. there's, we're, we're, you know, you can't go online without all these, these crazy harridans attacking you. Like that is the level of unjustness. Yeah. Yeah. There's somebody I know. Uh, I don't know if I would call them a friend who said <laughs> um, he had a very good job. He's a white dude, went to a great university. Mm-hmm. And 
he was like, we we're talking about politics or social issues or something. He's like a few drinks in. He's like, you know, all I know is that my life is great and I want nothing to change. You know, I love that. The honesty. <laughs> I, I actually had, I had a conversation with my dad a couple of years ago. I was I can't even remember what we were talking about, but he actually said like, I'm a white man and things have benefited me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Thanks. Yeah. Like put it out there. Like yeah. that's the best way to say it. And and it's funny. So I um I'm thinking a lot about Steven Pinker in the context of this actually because I think he's like kind of the ground zero of a lot of the stuff because is his theories are, you know, that you know, everything is fine. We mm-hmm. this is the, the best of all possible worlds. We're living in the best of times. You know, and, and you can you can point to certain statistics, cherry pick statistics that say that indeed, you know, there's you know, less cholera, therefore things are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that argument makes sense to a degree, but then at the same time, he's also he's also the kind of person who's like, oh, you know, the problem is people complaining, the problem is minorities complaining, and, and you know, he'll sign on to Charles Murray type stuff about, you know, you know, race science and bullshit. And I think that to buy into this, to that sort of alt-right worldview, and he would never call himself an alt-right person, but to buy into that worldview, you have to start from his premises that everything's actually fine and people are just complaining and they just don't know their place mm. because you can't, you can't get, you can't get from one to the other, right? You have to, there has to, that's the only, you can't just start in like, oh, people are whining. You have to say, well, first things are fine. And now that they're whining. And that's the only way that the argument makes sense. So I'm going to push back a little bit. <gasps> Gasp! In my Controversy. own home. I know, I know. How could you, you cooked sir? This, I cooked this nice dinner for me, and I'm going to disagree with you in public. Oh um, man, that was like the point of the dinner. Yeah, I know. It buttered me up. Didn't work. <laughs> Literal um, butter yeah. in the pasta. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I've read like, I think five Stephen Pinker books. Oh my I, god! I definitely went through a period of time where I was a Pinker acolyte. And I am so sorry, my dude. <laughs> he's a good writer. I, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stylistically, like, yeah, there's no yeah. Reaction. He wrote a book on writing, and I found it pretty helpful actually. But bear with me with this so mm-hmm. i think you know pinker's claim to be like an equity feminist which is like basically women deserve equal rights and like i think he actually i've seen no evidence that he like what about girls on epstein's planes yeah so how about those girls so yeah i mean i think it's really gross and not cool that he was like friends with epstein after the conviction and everything yep. but in his defense, he's like, oh, like, I only hung out with him because my friends hung out with him, which is like a different problem, <laughs> That's right? That's fine when you're in high school. That's <laughs> yeah. a completely valid high school defense. Look, all my other rich friends at Harvard were hanging out with this guy. Like, I felt like I had to. He um, had cool parties, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Pinker apparently got iced out of the Epstein thing for like, disagreeing with him on something. Um, oh, <laughs> how young they could be. That was the disagreement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he actually... You know, I, I think um, in, in Nathan Robinson's piece on Stephen Pinker, the world's most annoying man, um, <laughs> he says, like, I agree with Pinker on, like, 80% of things. Um, yeah. And, and like, most of the arguments that he makes, I think, are, are pretty well-founded. Yeah. But there are definitely cases like his sexual assault chapter on um, the better angels of our nature is really, really bad. Um, but, you know, there's actually a part in the blank slate where he talks about Charles Murray's theories on, on race and mm-hmm. IQ. And he says, like, you know, in other countries where there's been historically marginalized com- uh, communities, there's been IQ gaps as well. And, mm-hmm. like, when the conditions changed, those gaps shrank over time. And the reasons that it might be persisting in the United States is that, like, the treatment of African-Americans has been just so uniquely awful. Okay. And so, like, I've I think... I've seen him defend at other places. Yeah. I, Maybe it's since Blink Slate. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know, like, the details of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, like... A lot of people defend Charles Murray on like specific empirical claims about like 
IQ data or something mm-hmm. like that. But then, like the, I think a current affairs article a while back, uh, why Charles Murray's odious yeah. does a very good job of explaining like it's not those, it's like the social policy implications. Right, of it. right. Um, and also, IQ is a bullshit thing. So, see, I, I'll push back on that as well. <laughs> oh my god, it's such yeah. a bullshit thing. Do it. Do yeah, it. I'm I mean, excited. So, I, I just, I've seen evidence that like it maps to a lot of things that we care about, mm-hmm. which is like you know often like income and and education, and you could say like well, income is like you know, based on things that we shouldn't care about or whatever, but like the ability to remember like a lot of large numbers or just like recall information quickly um, is like generally useful, right? And like There's you can like measure those things. Totally a, a, th- a theory that is espoused by real scientists, real people going out there that that Jews specifically, because we tend to have a higher IQ on, on, on these measures, mm-hmm. that we specifically evolved to be good at numbers because we were forced into finance early you know, because we weren't allowed to weren't allowed to own land usually, and so it was the and Christians couldn't, couldn't the, charge the money interest. Yes, yeah, right. so then we did the money changing, and so we evolved to be good at numbers, and that's the thing real people think. So, so here's here's one of the pieces. There's a lot of pieces of evidence I have that IQ is crap. Um, there's a guy I think his name is Fisher. I could be wrong, but he he did a study. He found that so uh, IQ scores jumped dramatically across the board for every American mm-hmm. like right like after World War II so that's a really interesting so here's my issue my issue is an IQ score is like do they exist yes they exist they measure something my issue is are they connected to any kind of innate ability which was the initial idea for them that they were supposed to be that they, that they correlate to education and income I totally believe for what Fisher uncovered for this giant gap this giant like leap Mm-hmm. to have happened post-World War II, we would basically have to be mutants if it's genetic. And that would be cool, but it's a boring mutation, and I think we should have a better one. I just, I, yeah, I just, the any kind of, it's it's a social measure. It's a social science measure. And, and I'm, something I'm really strict about, and I wish people were stricter about this, if you're just examining social science and use social science data, people have a tendency to take social science data and extrapolate the necessary existence of genes mm-hmm. and the necessary existence of some kind of genetic structure, something that proves, et cetera. So like a lot of evolutionary psychology is this. They're like, here's this behavior. We can, we can trade, we can you know, do the study. We see that humans have this particular kind of behavior, this kind of people, these kinds of people have these kinds of behaviors. And they will say, well, we must have evolved this way. And I think you didn't prove shit because you didn't prove that there's a gene. You haven't actually done the biology. So if you're going to use this, again, social science data to prove a hard science thing, I need to see the biology. So that's my objection to IQ. No, just like on that, you know, the the way that we know or think we know things about like heritability of different traits is mm-hmm. like these twins who are separated at birth, right? right. So they have the same exact gene, right? Uh, genetic structure, and um, they just like grow up in different environments, and then you can see like how much of the variance in different traits goes with the person versus like the environment. Mm-hmm. And and so like you don't have to know which genes are activated or deactivated or like uh, it's uh, the epigenetic like right but epigenetics make a difference yeah but like, and it also like let's say you have t- a set of twins who are handsome young white men mm-hmm. they're going to be treated you know it, depending on where they grow up one can grow up in poverty and one could grow up very wealthy that is going to make ch- differences certainly that's going to make ep- epigenetic differences but they're still at the end of the day attractive young white men in America like that. It doesn't. They're not different enough. Like, I mean, their social search situations aren't going to be completely different. It doesn't completely change because you grew up in different families. 
Yeah, I guess. Oh man, I, we should we should not have done this if we we're going to be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I feel massively underqualified to to debate the uh, genetics of uh, the the evidence for genetic based traits. But. If, you, if you're going to make a genetic based argument, you need to show you need to show it. And you need to prove it in a way that it can't be explained by something else. And I don't think that's like a high bar to clear. I don't think mm. that's much to ask for. You know, and we we can see phenotypes. You know, like there's lots of stuff that we can we can tell, and you know, but it it's this sort of like just so story kind of speculation about it. Like it, it very well could be true that intelligence is inherited in a particular kind of kind of way, but it's also true that environment shapes it a great deal. So it's it's just it, it's it's hard to make that argument. It's hard to say, oh, it's definitely this or it's definitely that. Yeah. And in Blank Slate, Pinker kind of makes this argument that, oh, people are out there, humanities people are out there saying it's all a blank slate, which it's, some people, I guess, are making that argument, but I don't think most people are. Yeah. It's just that it's very, very hard to, we know that social factors exist. We know that there's history. We know that there, you know, it makes a difference what kind of resources you have. So it, it makes more sense to start there. And, you know, you can do the genetic stuff if you can prove it, but you've got to be able to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess... What I would say is like you want to make your arguments not contingent on some biological fact being true or false. Yeah. Because if all of a sudden it comes out that there's like really strong evidence that like condition X is true and that invalidates your entire claim, yeah. then like you just have to be anti-science. And that's like not a position you want to find yourself <laughs> in, right? So so like what I like about the Charles Murray thing is like even if you grant that intelligence matters and exists, is measurable, yeah, yeah. is heritable, all this stuff. Um Deciding to cut welfare is like a really bad <laughs> idea, um, and and you know, Pinker to his credit will will make arguments like that where it's like you know you want to just get make the arguments again independent of, of the facts on the ground. Where I will totally agree with you, and like what he gets wrong is that he talks about how much better things have gotten, and then totally misattributes. I think yeah, not, not entirely. Like obviously technology has played a role. We've gotten much more productive. Science has improved. Like you mm -hmm. know, vaccines are real. Yeah, um, yeah. vaccinate your children. And, <laughs> you heard you know, it here, folks. <laughs> anti anti vaxxer Garrison <laughs> and lovely. Um, so you know, you you, you want to do those things, uh, obviously, but um, you also want to give credit to social movements like civil rights and women's rights and like all these things that have like pushed society forward. Mm -hmm. And it's not that he like will say that civil rights movement was bad. But right. when it's happening now, when people are pushing for yeah. the the ball to move forward even more, he's criticizing those people well, for their style, for them not recognizing how great things are. And I think things could be the best they've ever been and still be terrible. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever said that's it had to like be a, like good to start with. Yeah, that and that's an invalidation of his point of view. Like it doesn't, it, it does it. We're on a spectrum of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, life is better than being a medieval peasant. But like, are you really going to go tell somebody who's you know whose family just got deported by ICE that like, cheer up, buddy? We did a comic about this because it's such a funny concept. I did that with, with Mike Fried. It's it's just it's and it's just we did like increasingly ridiculous situations in which uh, Steven Pinker tries to comfort people when terrible things have happened to them because it's that's kind of the end result of the argument. And the fact that he pushes back against social movements now, and he pushes pushes back against Black Lives Matter and Me Too, you know, that doesn't speak very well for his perspective on this. He clearly thinks that things are, you know, as good as they're going to get, or is good, you know, good enough that we should just be grateful all the time. I'm sure things are great for him, but they're not great for lots of people. Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, 
I mean, you would still argue there's like much progress to be made, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like there are. You can just look at this global stats. Like, five million children die before they turn five. Yeah. Every year, and and he would, I think, like to be fair to somebody yeah, 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 who yeah. like, I want to oh, call he's not them completely the... <laughs> Pollyanna, completely Pollyanna all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is like the most common, I think. Yeah. Critique. Um, but no, it it is interesting because um, I, I do feel like I learned things from reading those books, but I, I spent a long time actually trying to uh, parse the true and false claims from the better mm-hmm. angels of our nature. And I wrote a, a book review about it. And, you know, I found out like a lot of problems with it. Um, historiography, uh, mm-hmm. he would like have bad sources for certain arguments. Um, there are things that I found out even later, you kind of like be an apologist for American imperialism. Um, all this stuff was like yeah. bad, right? But then the core claim that like, this is the best time to be born from a standpoint of like not yeah. getting violently murdered. True. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, uh, well, but that's like, you don't but, need a whole, <laughs> that's fine. You don't need all I'm, the other stuff to, I'm not, I'm not going to take a time machine and go back and tell a medieval peasant. Yeah. Like, look, buddy, you've got it good. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing I'm interested in doing in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what, what Nathan does well in the piece is like, you could go to the 1950s and say, make the same argument, right? Like things yeah. are so much better than they were a hundred yeah. years ago. And you could do that. Like, basically up until any time around yeah. like the industrial revolution before that we were stuck in like this malthusian trap where you know mm-hmm. things would get better and then people would like start starving and then they would die and it'd be bad again and like that kind of happened over and over mm-hmm. um but like you know materially conditions did at least we became wealthier and that allowed yeah. other things to happen the like, important thing is some people got rich <laughs> that's that's the takeaway of the story yeah um okay so let's i want to talk about uh this wonderful piece you wrote uh, world without men yes so can you just like what prompted you to write this what is the core idea <laughs> um <laughs> prompted me to write it was the first time I, I actually met nathan in person um he brought me a gigantic stack of feminist utopian literature like this high like it's a normal thing to do. i am i am miming a very high stack yeah. here um very normal <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I was like, because I had read some. Um, I read March Piercy's Woman on the Edge of Time, which I just love. And I've read Ursula Le Guin's, uh, she's written, it's actually an interesting question of whether or not hers are feminist utopias. I, I think they are, they, but they are on the grounds of just like complete equality. Um, but a lot of these older ones are, are very interesting. So there, there are a lot of feminist utopias written around the turn of the 19th century and the early 20th century. There are a lot of utopias in general written at this time. It was a very like forward-looking time. But the feminist utopias were specifically responding to the ones written by men, specifically Edward Bellamy's. And they, because Edward Bellamy's, among others, didn't really have, a good, have good roles for women. They did not regard women as people. So these women wrote feminist utopias that were simultaneously like imagining what the future could be like for women, but also using the technique of the utopia to make arguments for women's liberation, that women deserved the same rights, um, that women could, you know, make society better. A lot of them, and a lot of them rest on actually these very creepy arguments, which you still see, you still see echoes of this today in liberal feminism, where they, they argue that, um, you know, if there's just more women, it's the national security argument. You need more women in national security positions, and then we'll be like more moral, or something. We'll like torture people like with flowers, or I don't know. We'll be like the, the woman who presided over the CIA's torture department. Exactly. Beg to differ. Exactly. <laughs> Well, so, but, but that's an argument that people will really make. And MSNBC, yeah. you know, celebrated that she was hired. Um, we Haskell. need more women prison guards. Exactly. That tweet is like really fucking useful. It, <laughs> but essentially, a lot of these older feminist utopias are making this argument. And they're really, they're interesting as historical documents. They're not always really fun to read. 
Um, and then there's a bunch from the 70s which are really cool and actually really fun to read because they they started to really look at what it was what if gender didn't exist or what if it didn't exist in this way um, you know some of them the ones that are female only tend to portray women as complete people as mm-hmm. complicated people as messy people as sort of people who do bad things be a pretty shitty book otherwise yeah well and that's another thing about utopias is they're boring yeah the early utopias are a slog i don't really recommend them um sultana's dream they're just like describing the society right yeah they just i mean it's the 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 gimmick is the per you know somebody from the outside comes into the society and then they're led around by uh by a guide or some some, several guides and they they learn about the sewage system and they learn about how where the food comes from and it's really boring um but this was a way of people to like play out this narrative of like what what things could be like and how these things could work and and making this like argument like look women could do it too or we mm-hmm. could women could do it better was usually the argument women would be more peaceful because we're nicer because we're not all gina haspels there's enough gina haspels though um yeah but uh, the the, uh, the the newer the 70s ones like women on the edge of time like uh, the dispossessed these are really good and i highly recommend reading them yeah i mean so some of them, many of them imagine like we're just where men don't exist mm-hmm. or they're like totally relegated to like yeah. the second class citizens. Um, yeah. Those yeah, are fun. So, so like <laughs> in some of them, they just kind of invert like the power yeah. hierarchies, right? So the, the, those are really fun. Um, there's some older ones where they invert where men are, yeah, men, men are second class citizens. They tend to get pretty dystopian. Hmm. Um, and there's some from the 70s where that happens. And there's actually one, um, this full dystopia from 2014, I think it was. Uh, it's called The Power by Naomi Alderman. And I talk about it in the piece. I fucking love this book. Is this the lightning from fingers? Yes. Day? It is. Oh, my God. Every time I describe it to people, they're like, I need to read this book. <laughs> um, and so so the, the premise is suddenly all the women in the world develop the ability to shoot lightning from their fingers. And it makes them much stronger than men, mm-hmm. um, and they can physically dominate men. And what happens is they become oppressors. And it's great because at the same time, it's it's kind of power fantasy, but it's also like really honest. Like this would be really shitty. Women would be just as bad as men. They wouldn't be any better. They would do awful things. And but it's a really satisfying book to read. It's just a really well written book too, in general. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's that that play is fun. This fantasy about, you know, what if we gave back as good as we got, but the honesty that it would it would suck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's like kind of, you see this with, and we'll get into identity politics in a, a little bit. Oh, everybody's favorite topic. Everyone's favorite topic, yeah. It's like, are you just replicating the existing hierarchies that are unjust with the new cast of characters, or are you breaking the hierarchy entirely? And, and in the, these books, are they you know, consciously uh, painting a dystopia or are they just like, imagine how great this would be and it turns out it's actually <laughs> shitty. You know, it's funny when it, so so in the, the some of the early ones, some of the ones from the, you know, 1910s and stuff, they are real into eugenics. Mm. And that was... Oh yeah, early progressives. Oh really yeah. into eugenics. It's strange. Really <laughs> fucked up. So you know, a lot of these are written by white women and the eugenics stuff is gross and they meant it totally seriously that was what they were into they have lots of creepy things about killing disabled people and killing crazy people and um a lot of them are like all white dystopias or all white utopias that don't realize they're dystopias can <laughs> yeah. slip of that tongue there um the the more recent ones the 70s and then and again this, this other new one that i'm thinking of their just dy- their dystopian elements are dystopian on purpose 
they're not trying to portray this as being a good thing. There's they're a, self-aware. They're self-aware. There's a great yeah. one from the 30s. Um, Catherine Burdekin's, um, if I hadn't had so much wine, I'd remember what it was called. Um, <laughs> I'll find it afterwards. Yeah, and link it's, to it. it's good. Um, yeah. Crap. Anyway, uh, that one is, that one starts out very utopian and takes this dramatic dystopian turn. Mm. That's a really good one. And it was written right before uh, World War II. And it has like this creeping darkness that a lot of novels written around that time have. It's, it's very satisfying. Wow. And, and so how many books did you ultimately read for this? Oh, God, like so fucking many, dude. So fucking many. Like, <laughs> How do you write a piece where you like read that many? Well, just it took keeping me like, track of them all. It took like, me like a year. Yeah. And I took, I had to take careful notes on everything. Yeah. And also because they're boring. Some of them are boring. The old ones are boring. It took me a while to get through them. And did you have a, I mean, so Nathan gave you these books. But yeah. Did you have like, I have to read all of these or like, what, yeah. what was the criteria? I, I think I, there's one I skipped because it was by a man. And I don't care See, about feminist. men. I don't read a lot of books by men, though. That's actually like a true thing I, about you know, me. A word has it you're married to a man. So. I am, actually, who you have just met and had dinner with. Um, yeah, John and I have been married for 10 years. So this whole True th- feminist you are. I know. Well, so that's the thing. The stereotype, I, I think that's so funny. And I think it's really funny when I see like, when I see like single women like complain about like feminists and like. Like, oh, you know, social justice warriors are ruining everything and we need to be nicer to men. And here's some quotes from Camille Paglia and shit. And they're all like fucking single. And I'm like, bitch, this is why you don't have a husband. <laughs> it's because you're not a feminist. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think you tweeted once something that was like, you know, all of the, the well-adjusted, uh, happy men that I know are also feminists. Yeah. And I, I thought about that and I was like, wow, it's, it's so true. Because, um, you know, growing up, I have a younger sister. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my first girlfriend, I, I had like very weird protective things mm. that like, you know, I, I'm not proud of, um, but I kind of just like grew up and that was normal, right? Like yeah. the joke of like the dad, like, you know, intimidating the, the daughter's boyfriend. It's just like a normal thing. And if you really think about it, <laughs> the implication is that like, it's like the dad's choice to like yeah. decide who his daughter is like having sex with. <laughs> And I, I love when like there's a shotgun involved in like yeah. this meme. It's like just like yeah, just put the penis right there, just right there. Let's see it. That's oh great. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, and and you know as I just like became an adult, <laughs> I kind of outgrew that, and it was just like oh, this is much healthier and yeah. it's easier to live that way. There's yeah. like less inconsistency, um, and I, the whole like the men who want a woman who's like, you know, much less intelligent or makes less money than yeah. them. It's like so crazy to me. Yeah. It's like, you're going to be with that person for a very long time should yeah. things go well. You don't want to get, like, get bored. <laughs> if, if they think of the woman, though, as being fundamentally there to, as, as a lesser being who's supposed to be there to support them. Yeah. You know, in the same way that you have a, a dog kind of like, you know, just sort of like a, a dog that you have sex with. Yeah, I said that. Oh, that was God. weird. That. <laughs> We're going to new places on the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they don't because they don't again. They don't think of women as being human. And if you have a a partner, a full partner who you share responsibilities with, you know, then then you're two people, not one person and a helper. Yeah. You know, then you then you have then you have to you also have to be your own person which i think is this thing that people don't really realize in relationships that's like a really critical factor is you actually are always yourself 
you are partnered with somebody else. You don't actually become one person. Well, I've seen people become one person. Oh, that, it, it's bad. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. It's like, oh God, it's like they Rest mutated. in peace, Bobby. <laughs> oh, Bobby. We've all got a Bobby. We've all got a Bobby. We've all got a fucking Bobby. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, never mind. I take it back. Yeah. Uh, it does happen. It's, it's gross. Yeah. But a good relationship, a healthy relationship, you always do say separate people because you are, you know, it's, you know the husband is the head of the wife or whatever that line is that's like not that's not healthy and it's not real because women are human yeah and if you suppress people it's gonna suck yeah yeah i mean it's really like i think we're lucky to to live in a time where you know imagine being like a forward-thinking man or woman back Mm -hmm. like 100 years ago where it was just you got shot on constantly for wanting something more out of your relationship or wanting to treat people as equals and um, yeah, we, we are benefiting from the fruits of like a fight for equality that has taken on. Pinker's right is what we're saying. <laughs> we're so lucky. There were a lot of much, uh, much more unhappy relationships. Well, and then if women couldn't have jobs, if they couldn't have or, you know, decent paying jobs yeah. and you were stuck in a shitty marriage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I think, you know, it's still great to be a white guy. But relatively speaking, <laughs> relatively speaking, it's like, you know, much harder out there, right? Like mm-hmm. you're competing with way more people to go to college and get jobs. And mm-hmm. and like, you know, when you're at the top, uh, quality feels like oppression. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Well, and, and if you if you are operating under a competitive framework and you might be operating under a competitive framework because you live in a competitive society yeah. and it's reasonable that you, you feel If you think stressed. you need to get into the top school, like yeah. it was much easier when like Harvard only admitted like yeah. white christian men um and you know obviously it's much better that like well maybe we should abolish like the ivy league we absolutely (laughs) should abolish the ivy league i've taken this position before yeah yeah i know that's a radical take for many people but um (laughs) redistribute harvard's endowment um yeah what 40 billion dollars is it really that much i think so that is god damn it yeah and and cornell has a big endowment is like seven million dollars and it's still crazy but like per capita per student it's like so much lower and yeah, it, it's so funny when you're not at the top. It's like, oh, man, we got to take those guys. Everyone, everyone hates, like, you know, they don't hate Harvard for real. But I like, hate Harvard for real. All right. Why do they hate Harvard for real? <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, I, I would uh, definitely be in favor of redistributing the endowment yeah. to all the universities. Yes. Yes. Free college for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you remove the competitive pressures, um, yeah. then people, th- there is, like, some truth to this, like, uh, you know, this is dangerous, but like, so Milo Yabadabadubulis. Uh, <laughs> I, I can never say his name. So nobody can. Um, I, I listened to the the fable Joe Rogan where he like tanked his career. Yes. Um, and I was like, I had heard about this guy. I'm like, what's his deal? And I'm and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Because he just talked about you know uh, enjoying the um, the sexual abuse uh, as a child from a priest. That that's the thing that like tanked his whole yeah. career. Uh, but something you said, it was kind of like this right-wing argument um, saying that, like, you know, men are graduating from college at a lower rate. They're dying sooner. They're more likely to overdose and kill themselves. Like, all these things. So just, like, lay out the statistics. So, like, you're saying that the patriarchy exists. And I'm saying, like, <laughs> you know, it's actually, like, better to be a woman. And, you know, at, at first glance, like, there's something to that. Uh, like, what, what would you say to that argument? Um, oh, God, Milo. Well, first I would say, fuck you, Milo. Sure, you, sure. You look like a dumbass. <laughs> like, so, so extricated from Milo, somebody who's like in good faith making this argument. 
Um, Pretend. Milo's outfits are the worst, though. Yeah. I think it's like this is actually like an important thing to establish that like the reason he became an all right grifter is because like if you're gay and you dress like that, you can't be taken seriously on the left. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody will. Like the only place that they'll take you seriously is the all right. That's my piece. That's the origin story. Oh, wow. that's the origin. That it is literally that because he's got no fashion. Um, so, I mean, it, it, you can look at you can look at cherry pick statistics all day. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, by some metrics, because, you, uh, you know, there's uh, more percent, a higher percentage of women in college, there's a higher percentage of women, I, I think, in, at least in high school, get good grades. Girls get good, better grades than boys in, in high school. And you can say, oh, boys are being oppressed. But it goes back to, you know, these ideas of who is a person and how do people actually get treated in the workplace? What are people's material conditions like? You know, there's an an increase in overdoses among white men and there's uh, you know the 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 um the the what am i think what's that word um life expectancy life expectancy gone down that's the word life three expectancy. years in a row for three the first row, time for since white world men. war one yeah thank you life for, for all of america actually oh for all of, really? yeah there's a lot of white men but mm. like they might be driving it the most well it was it was a big it was a big dip for white men and it's yeah. still lower for black black men and black women you can i mean yeah, we still live in a patriarchy. Like, I think you'd have to be blind not to see it. There's, mm-hmm. we, the way that we regard women, the way that we regard what women are allowed to do and what women are allowed to look like, and how how it's okay to talk about women. Some of it's so. Some of this is material stuff, some mm-hmm. you know, pay gap things like that. Some of it is just this sort of intangible cultural stuff. How do we portray women? How do we talk about women? And it's you can look at weird stuff like Hollywood, which is not representative of things, but is representative of certain attitudes. You can be like, okay, like to be an actress in a movie, you have to be like stunning, dropped out gorgeous. You have to look young forever. And yeah, there is kind of a parallel thing where guys have to be very muscular, but it's not quite the same. And you could be kind of a gross dude and still. Oh, have a Leonardo DiCaprio is not kept it tight. No, he is not kept it tight. I mean, to be. There's like the, like the superhero industrial complexes force people to like keep it tight, but that's like different. Um, what that, it's like that's creeping into st- that is actually kind of a good example actually in a way because like y- it used to just be women who had to look stunningly gorgeous all of the time. Now some men have to look stunningly gorgeous all the time. This doesn't mean that men have it easy. It does mean that things are getting worse. But it doesn't mean that like things for women are better or great or like we're in charge. Yeah. Like I fucking wish we were in charge. If I could shoot lightning out of my fingers <laughs> right fucking now, oh man, watch out, you bastards. Yeah, the disagreement would have gone a different way. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I was I was thinking about this argument on on the walk over, and something I would maybe say to it is that the patriarchy can be bad for men too. Oh yeah. Um, right. Like being. A prison guard is not good. It's not a good job, right? Like oppressing people is not a fun thing mm-hmm. when you're like actually, I mean, some people like enjoy that power imbalance, but um, I think that I'm sure some social psychology would bear this out. Like the best human experiences are profound sensitive connection to other people. Yeah. And that requires a lot of vulnerability and can't really happen in a really imbalanced uh, hierarchical you know, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could just be like, look, like, define gender roles is just like bad for people yeah and like men used to be much more on the upper hand of that but like it's gotten bad for yeah. both sides of things it sucks if you can't express yourself if yeah. you if it's not okay to cry if it's not okay to have feelings. there's a really bunch of crazy studies on um how men it's, it's so for some degree it's like i've seen one about married men and one about men, uh, men are unmarried but that they don't have 
intimate friendships um, and married men their intimate friendship is with their wife and maybe their wife's friends through her but they don't have any of their own and so all of their intimate connection is through this one person which is a really weird way to live it's a lot of pressure and and well and then you look at like incels and like incel killers like they don't have so much of their lives and so much of what's important to them and what feels like it matters is tied up in getting a girlfriend and like only by getting a girlfriend can you achieve real human connection and otherwise you're profoundly lonely hmm. when you could have real human connection through friendships yeah and it, but it doesn't but there's like this this normative value that like the only thing that a straight guy can do is have a girlfriend then that's the only like mark of his status and it's the only way that he can actually express feelings and have feelings and be vulnerable that's a terrible thing yeah i i hadn't heard that before but it makes a lot of sense and I mean, it's funny in college, like, you know, my closest friends, we would express our affection, like, you know, we would cuddle and like hug oh, each other and nice. like, but it was always in this really like masculine way, if that makes sense. I'm not gay, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a, no, I was in a fraternity, um, oh. you know, which like, it was one of the better ones, but you know, like, you know, still very, a lot of toxic masculinity, of course. Did you get hazed? Uh, just a, a tiny bit. Oh. It was, it was always consensual. Like people, oh. nobody was forced to drink or anything. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> Wow, it's not where I thought you were going. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just in chapter, people just be like sitting on each other's laps. And that was like, I, I don't know. I, it was obviously a good thing. I, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, that people felt comfortable doing that. But there would still be, you know, razzing each other for being like too sensitive or something. Right. It's right. like people want physical and emotional connection and they're going to like seek it out um and if you limit it only to certain types of relationships yeah. you're just going to like limit the amount of human joy that can be had in the world there's something called touch starvation i don't mm -hmm. know like how how much research has been done on it but it's, it's this idea that if you don't get touched by other humans that you, you feel you know we're very social animals and yeah. monkeys touch each other all the time and there's there's definitely a thing with um with babies if you don't hand you know babies who were in orphanages who weren't like touched or handled would die it's like called that. failure to thrive is, is what wow. it's um yeah it's it, it, we need to be touched you have a physical need for this yeah physical need for it and and we can survive as adults without it but it sucks yeah 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 i mean at, at burning man and some of like the weirder parties i go to there are what are known as cuddle puddles um, which is like people cuddling there's no like sexual expectation and uh i think it's it's rough that like, you know, people are definitely undertouched. Yeah. And it's exacerbated by the fact that like if you cuddle with somebody, that means you're going to like have sex with them. And, right, like, right. And so people who would like want to cuddle but don't want to have sex just don't right. do it. And it can be confusing for somebody who's new to this situation. Mm -hmm. But um, overall, it's like, I think a uh, utility increase <laughs> <laughs> to put it in the weirdest terms possible. That I definitely feel that when I'm cuddling with a friend. When I hug a friend, I think utility <laughs> increase. utility maximizing decision. Oh, yeah. I just see my utility stats <laughs> yeah, go up. Yeah, whoop. Whoop. Uh, You know, it's funny because one of the incel things is, you know, the government should get us girlfriends. Oh, right. And, and it's interesting that Redistribution that's, of sex. Right. Well, it's something that's what they go for rather than like it's sort of the squishy social stuff. Like we should just have different ideas of what's appropriate yeah the way that we should you know men should be able to be friendly with other men in ways and also that like maybe that they need to work on their personalities in order to get a girlfriend yeah. that kind of thing <laughs> rather than just being handed out yeah but it's funny like like these incels expecting government handouts you know it's <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah if, if the government just sponsored uh 
I don't know, like happy hour. So you could like talk about your feelings with other guys. Yeah. Like <laughs> just guys being dudes. Yeah. Maybe this is the best, <laughs> the best uh, solution of the problem. Well, some things, and, and I think this is a bit of a tricky thing sometimes with, with, with socialism in general is some things are material things that we can solve through policy. Mm-hmm. Some things are squishy or cultural things and policy may not be the best way to do it. Yeah. It may be that we have to do it in less, you know, in, in deliberate ways, but in non-legislated ways yeah yeah i mean the culture war matters culture war (laughs) does matter and that's why it's important to like defend our trans comrades and things like that like it is important to say like you know it's good to be non-binary it's okay to be non-binary like gender roles are, are silly because if, when we break down gender roles, we are going to make things better for everybody. Yeah. Got to fight hierarchy and oppression wherever it's found. Yeah. And it's found in a lot of places. Yeah. It's found basically everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The, the intangible stuff is is really hard to... I mean, in workplaces that I've been at, very yeah. progressive, they have all the right policies, like 100% ratings for like LGBT you mm-hmm. know, rights and whatever. They're still just like... I wouldn't call it... I guess it is sexism or it's more of like older men at, a, at the company will like just be much more candid in front of you and you can hang out with the guys after yeah. work. And, you know, there's just not going to be that same if you're a woman or if you are a woman yeah. and you are in that situation, it's because you're one of the bros, you're one right. of the guys. And it's like, you can't just be like a woman in the situation like that gets nullified. Yeah. Um, Cause, Oh no, you're one of the good ones. So you're not going to give yeah. you a hard time. And you, but you have to remain one of the good ones. You can't bust their balls in that way. Yeah. You can only bust them like a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't like call them on on the no, the you can't call them on the shit because that would that would hurt their feelings. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get the snowflakes yeah, as you well. You can't. <laughs> well, and it's it, like men are very sensitive about their feelings because they don't know how to deal with them because yeah. they don't know how to express them because like it's men are socialized in a really tragic way, and it does suck. And I do have a lot of sympathy for men who are going through a tough time and don't know how to express their feelings because they never learned. It's just not women's fault that this happened to them. Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, I think we'll be touching on some of these themes, but I wanted to move on to uh, another piece you wrote, uh, The Cancel Monster. <gasps> so this is great. This is one of those pieces where I read it and I like almost immediately changed my mind on something. It, it wasn't a strong belief, but um, can you just like lay out the argument you make? So I was talking about cancel culture in the piece and I was responding to like a couple of recent things that had happened. But the, the argument basically is I tried to break down two very different times of very two different types of, of cancellations. There's the one that's directed at celebrities, um, like Louis C.K. and that kind of thing. Or you know, I, and for that, I also like looked at a New York Times article that had been written six months before I wrote the article, and it like was like listing all the people who had been canceled. It was like Taylor Swift was canceled, Erica Badu was canceled, and I, six months later, I was like, I do not remember what everybody was canceled for. Yeah. So that was part of it. And so I tried, but I tried to make a difference between like those kinds of cancellations where where celebrities get yelled at online. And the type that happens in like small communities like Tumblr or like the YA book community, that kind of thing. Because I think that they're really, really different. And I think there's a, it's, it, and I'm frustrated that a lot of leftists just throw out their analysis of power when it comes to online bullshit. Because power matters no matter where you are. At the end of the day, celebrities after cancellation are fine. Louis C.K. is fine. He's still performing. He yeah. never apologized. Uh, people have this fantasy that he apologized. He did not. So he made a statement. Was, he made a statement. Yeah, I, I don't remember the details yeah. of it. Um, but he didn't really. He ruined women's careers, mm. and he did not like address that or deal with that. He like it, yeah, like that's the thing. And people are like, oh, he, 
you know, people try to like minimize what he did. Oh, it was just a little bit of like consensual exposing consensual masturbation, which it wasn't. And when people complained, he destroyed their careers and then and made them leave comedy. So I, I, I think that you could make restitution for that kind of thing. I don't think he's done the steps that would take him there. Yeah. 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 So I, you're getting to something which like, you know, for I, I actually, it's really funny to think about the people who were canceled and like where they are. Yeah, uh, they're the all fact. back. Yeah, they're yeah. fine. They're I mean, all fucking like fine. Harvey Weinstein and like you know, right. like ones, people did the real well, like, people serious who like crimes, criminal charges. Yeah. Like Bill Cosby is in jail. Yeah, but yeah, criminal charges are a little different. It'll be interesting to see Kevin Spacey who seemed yeah. to get off. Like it's it. I don't. I've not followed this closely, but my general impression is that like he did the did the bad things and mm-hmm. but like is legally going to be okay. Yeah, and then there's some conspiracies that like the queen uh, intervened on his behalf because the queen? yeah. So uh, the idea is like Kevin Spacey knows stuff about Epstein. Epstein <gasps> knows stuff about one of the royal kids, and he made a video. It had like a mug. It was like "God Save the Queen" or something. Like this is is this yeah. like Q shit? It's like, like it's like Q, but like it might actually be real. I don't oh my god, know. I don't I'm on board. <laughs> well, somebody tried to kill Epstein in his cell. So yeah, oh no. So yeah, he definitely did things yeah. and is at the epicenter of like this web queen tried to kill epstein in his cell wow i did not expect <laughs> to hear that today allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> no I, I know nothing about the queen's involvement in epstein's suicide slash murder attempt um but you know i mean yes yeah, so, so kevin spacey is like this case where like it seems likely that he did some really really bad things yeah. um that are genuinely worthy of canceling and like sustained canceling yeah uh but you know, he will not be legally yeah. held liable, but like it's hard to see his career making a comeback. Yeah, and then also the, we get into really an interesting question of what should happen to people's careers. You know, and like let's say Woody Allen puts out a movie, should you see it? And mm-hmm. like, I think that's kind of messy. Yeah. Ultimately, it's the questions are if what they did was criminally liable. That's one, you know, one thing. If the, what they just did was really shitty, it, it's it's usually a workplace issue. It's usually that they assaulted people who are around them and made a hostile work environment. And that that's awful. They mm-hmm. and again, Louis C.K. ruined careers. It wasn't it wasn't a little bit of, of awkwardness or something. Um, I don't like somebody like Aziz Ansari. I don't think Aziz Ansari should go away forever because he's a bad date. Yeah. But it is important that he apologizes and he realizes it was wrong and it seems like in his new special i haven't seen it yet but this is what i've heard he's more like you know he's still angry he's angry about cancel culture he's angry that people are mad at him you don't get to be shitty and then angry that people are mad at you yeah i mean i guess like i i saw the part of the special where he Mm -hmm. apologizes um or talks about it Mm -hmm. um it's weird to apologize to like not the person, right? Yes, like, that's you should apologize to the person. Like, yeah, of course. Like, do whatever they want you to do within reason. Yeah. Um, but then, like, apologizing to your audience is sort of like I don't know if they need an apology. It's performative too. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to trust. Yeah, I mean, he, he said something that I thought was like actually pretty good, where he's like, you know, one of my friends told me that after reading that story, I thought about every single like sexual encounter I had and thought about like whether I was in the right um, or like mm-hmm. whether I'd done something wrong and. And like, no, I think that's like really good. And I was thinking like, you know, I think that I, I went through that. I think a lot of guys like yeah. went through that where, you know, very few men think of themselves as violent rapists, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think many men have like gone through situations where like they probably were pushier than they should have been. Yeah. Um, and maybe they didn't know better. Maybe they did. And like, maybe they were under the influence, like whatever. Yeah. Um, and 
this is part of like moving forward as a culture yeah out of the dark ages of like 80s rom-coms where like the <laughs> the hunky you know lead like passes off his drunk girlfriend to get raped that like it's such a weird movie to watch candles. Now. holy shit so weird now i watched it with my uh, asian girlfriend at the time and there's like a third of the movie is this like racist like chinese character long oh, duck shit. dong yeah yeah every time his name is said uh gong rings out Oh god, I haven't seen that movie. Very in uncomfortable years. watch. That was so awkward. <laughs> and going in, it's like, oh, this is like a uh, '80s classic, you know. Well, and that's why a lot of these conversations about culture, like, as much as people get frustrated about them, and they're like, oh, this is just social justice warriors policing, whatever, whatever. They're kind of important because, like, we have been surrounded by a lot of shit, and it does, in the aggregate, really affect you. Oh, for sure. And it does make an enormous difference. And you know, it, it's it's good for people to look back at their relationships and the things that they've said and the things that they've done. And it's okay to ask yourself these questions. Like, have I done the right thing? Am I okay? And for, for some people though, any intimation that maybe they're sexist or maybe they're racist is just the worst thing that you can say to them. It's just, it's just the worst and, and they just don't want to address it. And like, I'm sorry, everybody should. And, 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 the, one of the things I think is good that has come out of social justice culture is it, it's, it's good and it's bad because for some for some people have interpreted it as like you need to be constantly like whipping yourself over every microaggression you may have said or done and you need to be constantly on guard. And that makes it a very uncomfortable experience when you're around people and also means that you're thinking too much about people's identities mm-hmm. instead of just like being a natural human. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's good to be self-aware. It's good to be careful and it's good to be thoughtful and it's good to make sure that you're not being an asshole. Like, that's not that's not a huge thing to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about this with the show um, mm-hmm. where I'll sometimes like say something I'm like, oh, it's probably not the best way I could have said it. Yeah. Like, then it's like, oh, do I edit it out? And mm-hmm. for the record, I, I don't. <laughs> <gasps> you never edit out? Uh, no. I mean, I, I'll edit out like something where I was like eating like pizza in the microphone or something. <laughs> <laughs> never done that uh no i, I it's an interesting I, technique i finished some ben and jerry's on one episode uh, but That's no like, okay. yeah I, I don't edit out anything like like meaningfully uh, at least so far uh but you know there's like no one's giving me a ton of grief or anything yet That's good. um well, not enough people listen to the show there's, there's so and like back to cancel culture like there's this attitude that like if you make one little screw up they'll come at you like mm. the mob this like heinous mob which is like sort of envisioned as being women of color usually is like yeah. that's usually what people have in mind when they they think of the evil mob it, the fact is most of the time one nobody's gonna even notice anything that you do because you're not that important and two like most shit gets a pass most shit is okay and people under people are actually pretty reasonable and they understand especially if you own up to it especially if you own up to it you know yeah. it's it's one of the things i talked about actually was uh in the piece was Bar- barbara ehrenreich who made a pretty racist comment about Marie Kondo. She didn't mean it to be racist, but it, yeah. it came out a certain way. And yeah. things like that happen. And she got dragged, especially by people who didn't know who she was. And a lot of leftists were very mad on her behalf. She had like a long history of fighting for, like, yeah, fighting she, the good fight. Fighting the good fight. But, you know, she's an older white woman who grew up at a particular time. And it's not impossible that she say something. And she was like, oops, I didn't mean it that way. Um, you know, sorry. Yeah. And it was fine. Yeah. It was fine. And she doesn't, she doesn't care. Like, she's okay. She's like an okay person. I got to interview her recently. It was so cool. When, when is that coming out? Oh my God, soon. Yeah. I am so excited. <laughs> when is this coming out? This, uh, unclear. Probably okay. like a few weeks. <laughs> okay. Well, possibly. If the, it's out, I'll link to it. Okay. Possibly that will already be out. Um, I got exciting. to interview her in her house. It was the coolest fucking wow. thing. Wow. It was so cool. Oh my God. What is her house her. like? 
Um, she li- it was creepy. She lives in this like apartment in like it's kind of like the Shining. It's like a so it's it's in Alexandria, Virginia. It's like a it's like in this like old people's like hotel. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the Shining meets uh, Beast's Castle from Beauty and the Beast, like but but oh, pre curse yeah. being lifted. Okay. So because there's like a moat situation and there's a lot of like candelabras and I'm like okay wow something and it's like it's like empty because like old people were all asleep I guess. It's really creepy. I liked it. That's amazing. It was awesome. Wow. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I mean, yeah, going going back to something you said about culture mattering, uh, there was some good writing around the Kavanaugh nomination mm-hmm. where a lot of people on the right would say, are we to believe that like a bunch of young prep school guys were going around like gang raping women in, in like suburban Virginia yes. in the 80s? And it's like, yeah, it's totally plausible. Like Animal House has a scene where he's pushing this drunk girl home and in a shopping cart and and it's a devil and the angel on the shoulder the devil's essentially saying raper and the angel's like don't and he like, doesn't and it's like good for you like you didn't like yeah it's the fact that that was like that's like one of the less problematic yeah. 80s comedies which because like, he doesn't rape yeah, her. yeah exactly <laughs> but like we mentioned 16 candles yeah. um what are some of the other ones there's a few oh oh revenge of the nerds yes there's a full-on scene where the guy is dressed like the girlfriend's boyfriend in like halloween and mm-hmm. they i think have sex mm-hmm. But she thinks it's right. her boyfriend, which yeah, like that, that's right. It's definitely right. Yeah, it's legally right. But she's like, "Oh, you're better," and like it's just this fantasy being played out, and to act as if the movies that everyone watches at the time were like maybe there were critical reviews mm-hmm. in feminist magazines and the, when these came out, mm-hmm. but I, these are movies that are like famous and like still watched and and well loved, mm-hmm. and of course they set the norms for for what's yeah. acceptable. Yeah, those are those are the normative values. That's what they are. Yeah. When you and and it. Uh, you know people should be getting this from their families i guess whatever but like most people don't most people get what they learn from culture and we absorb culture all the time yeah and it makes a difference to how you perceive the world yeah yeah and and i i do understand i have some like empathy for somebody who's older who's just seeing like all these tv shows and movies and that are like kind of making them feel bad for believing the things they believed for a very long mm-hmm. time. Um, and, and Bill Burr, when he's talking about these like old white people having like really bad opinions about things, yeah. it's like, what did you think they thought? <laughs> John Wayne's canceled. Like, what did you think? Exactly. Reagan, Reagan's canceled. Oh like you didn't God. fucking know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. If it wasn't obvious. Well, and um, the, So then there's this question like, you know, are people creatures of their time? Should they be held responsible? Yeah. I think yeah, yeah, because there's always people who weren't like that. Yeah, I mean Leonardo da Vinci was a vegetarian uh, yeah. <laughs> back in like the 1500s, which you know I think is a good thing. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Bentham defended animal rights and gay rights and women's rights back in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of cases where people like did the right thing. Yeah, um, it was much harder, but yeah. like no one ever said that everybody alive at a certain time had to be a good person. <laughs> no, it's it's not required. But yeah, I think people. I mean, I think you can understand. People are creatures. People are products of their time. And plenty of abolitionists were also fairly racist. Mm. They just thought slavery was an evil thing, but they still thought black people were inferior. Yeah. I I think you have to look at people with the... the, uh, People are supposed to understand that other people are human. Yeah. They're supposed to get that. And they're supposed to get that now. They're supposed to get that 500 years ago. They're always supposed to be in a state of getting that. They'll be in a state of supposed to be getting that in 500 years. Yeah. Should we live that long? Yeah. Like saying <laughs> somebody is irredeemable is, is not very productive, right? No. Because there'll be this inconsistency. And it's not always the same person, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people on the left are like prison abolitionists or at the very least like want to drastically yeah. reduce a carceral state, which you know I would support. 
Um, but then they also want like very bad things to happen to people who are political enemies. And it's like, yeah, like I hate Henry Kissinger. I hate yeah. Trump. Like all these people are terrible, right? <laughs> but like to have them then be held in prison or tortured or whatever, like it doesn't actually make it better. Well, you know, we can, if you're wishing torture on Henry Kissinger on Twitter, like you're wishing. Yeah. He, he's going to just keep fucking trucking along. Yeah, until you're like next to the button or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's just fantasy. Or... Well, it, and, and that's the thing. And, you know... It can still be unproductive in the sense that like yeah. you want to, you know, tell by your values, right? You want yeah. you want to... It's hard to be consistent. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely easier to, to like be like, oh, I'm a prison abolitionist, but like, you know, Kissinger needs to go to The Hague. Or yeah, needs to he hang. should go to The Hague. Yeah, and like, look, I think there's a very... Um, I've actually talked about this particular example on my show before I, I think there's um uh utilitarian argument or consequentialist argument you can make that like he should be held accountable because other like would-be war criminals would think twice if like he's yeah. executed or sent to prison for the rest of his life i think like that's true and you're mm -hmm. not going to get to abolition tomorrow yeah so if like we're still going to punish anybody you should start with like the most heinous mass actors. murderers aren't bad people to punish yeah, as yeah. if we're going to punish anybody yeah. I, i'm with you i'm with you yeah um yeah, it does take the wind out of the sails a little it, bit. A little bit. Yeah. Little bit. Well, because they, I mean, you know, there there are lots of reasons why people commit crimes. There's lots of reasons people do murders. But because it, you're part of a state and you're getting away with it because the state is letting you, yeah, <laughs> then you're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's that's a certain thing. But, you know, so often with a cancellation or with people making jokes on Twitter about things, like, you know, everybody ends up fine. You know, nobody's careers are... It, it, with Kavanaugh, it was interesting. All the people, you know, all that uh, Blasey Ford was asking for is that he shouldn't be a Supreme Court justice. It's you like know, the, not that he should go to prison. One of the prison. greatest honors and power yeah. positions in the entire world. And he was so angry. Like, how dare you? I've been ruined my entire life for this role. Yeah, and, and he was he was furious. He was really interesting when he took the stand and like what that was revealing of because he, he was so uncontrolled and he was so furious that he should be denied this thing that he'd worked for and he'd sacrificed for and somebody paid off a whole lot of debt for which yeah. incidentally would be really interesting to find out who paid off his debt yeah uh but he he felt that he was owed and that's and that and so often when you hear leftists talk about people like woody allen or roman polanski and they will talk about them in the sense of like what these these artists are owed and i'm not sure anybody is owed anything hmm. i don't know if anybody is owed fame and power ever you know that's a weird thing to go out on a limb for. That's a weird thing to go to bat for. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with Kavanaugh, he's been expecting to be a Supreme Court justice probably yeah. since he was 18. Yeah. Um, with good reason, right? Like, he did all the things. He went to Yale, went to Yale Law School, like, was in the Federalist Society. Mm -hmm. he, did, he did the right stuff to do it. I guess, like, there's maybe people who, and you, you wrote a piece called uh, The Myth of the Male Genius mm -hmm. um, about Juno Diaz, uh, which is, like, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and... I think like maybe some people are un discomforted by resisting the idea that some people are creative geniuses or something, mm -hmm. or like that the left is like anti-humanities or anti-human right. and like, you know, there's something to be said for like people who do incredible works of art. Mm -hmm. Like there's something beautiful about like lauding that. Like it's just like, holy shit, like you yeah. made this thing and it's amazing. Um, but it doesn't excuse this other behavior. Right. And so I think also the question of like, when you're talking about an artist who's done problematic things 
and how do you relate to the art? It could just be that you have a tough time because you know when you're thinking about it. But the Cosby show doesn't really work. It doesn't. Well, but so that's so that's another big thing. Is, his innocence is a part of it, right? His like, innocence is a part of it. And so, and very, very often in a lot of these cases, these are these are guys, Louis C.K. is another great example, and Gino Diaz is another. These are guys who put themselves in their art or they, they created a thinly fictionalized version of themselves. And that's that's the character and yeah. when it came to louis the show i totally bought it for multiple seasons i was yeah. really in. Oh, it's I loved one of my favorite shows i like, loved louis it yeah. was so funny yeah. it was really it was a really so good surreal. show it was yeah and like the surrealness is like very much captures what it's like to live in new york it's Absolutely. like really yeah. so it was a weird town <laughs> um but juno diaz i found really frustrating to read because i didn't I, because it seemed so obvious to me that his narrator was just him and it was just like he was you know writing a, a version of himself that got to be a misogynist and he could make it look like a critique of misogyny but it really wasn't because the women in the book weren't human but everybody hailed him as this incredible genius and people would argue with me when i brought this up and they would they would kind of make the argument that like i was like being stupid and i was foolishly you know like oh i just don't understand that you're not supposed to conflate the writer and and, and the the narrator this is actually just kind of a myth that we have that a lot of the time an artist doesn't write themselves and they do yeah and it's okay to acknowledge that it's okay to like look at manhattan and be like yeah woody allen is talking about his own weird sex shit it's like pretty fucking obvious you you, you know it's right, not I love your daddy like louis ck's movie uh, that was canceled uh, no. it's like what like a 50 year old marrying like a 17 year old yeah something like and he's not the one who's marrying it but he gets to like be weird and patriarchal about yeah it's, it's gross it's gross R.I.P. that movie, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it didn't actually get released, but I no. think you can see it if you wanted to. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, it is funny because uh, when some people wrote reviews of the movie after the, like the scandal like came out that he had done all this weird sex stuff, and then he was canceled, and yeah. then the movie was actually canceled, and like he lost a lot of money in the process. Mm-hmm. Still, he's fine. He's fine. Uh, he's he's fine. rich. He's, he's fine. fine. He's fine. He's fine. Oh my God. <laughs> There's um, people, there's babies in baby jails. Like, yeah. fucking care about the baby jails for you to care about Lucy K, for God's sake. Yeah, and, and uh, but the reviews of the movie were, like, just so, um, it was, like, they were just so nasty. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, like, Louis C.K., like, is a brilliant artist. Of some, yeah. some, like, Louis is one of the best shows I've ever seen, one of the best comics mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Like, I doubt the movie's actually just unalloyed garbage, right? Yeah, it's um, not. And so it's just very convenient to shit on a movie that no one's going to see to yeah. win, like, virtue signaling points. Right. Virtue signaling is a real thing, and it's annoying absolutely. that the, the alt-right has really adopted that and stolen that term, because people absolutely virtue signal all the fucking time. Yeah. yeah. And it's really obnoxious, because there's, like, it's good to engage critically with things and honestly with things. Yeah. Virtue signaling for the listener at home oh, is, yeah. like, performatively being good in a way that, like, signals that you're in your tribe. And the alt-right likes to... It's sort of, the alt-right uses, like, political correctness, where they sort of operate on the assumption that nobody really is virtuous everybody's just virtue signaling so that they look good yeah yeah so like within some parts of the left uh virtue signal could be like as a straight white man like mm-hmm. blah 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 it's blah. always virtue signaling right and I then on that. the right like <laughs> the virtue signaling could be dunking on social justice warriors and both signify that you're in this tribe and you don't have yeah. to speak the language and like you are accepted and, mm-hmm. and one of us um there are some people that argue that every human interaction is virtue signaling which in some like weird way it could be true but like it kind of over steps the bounds i think 
I'm trying to think of like, you know, just like my average, like daily interactions with my husband. Yeah. Where I'm like yelling at him about, you know, did you do this? That makes me sound like a terrible heritage. <laughs> um, but you know, every relationship that happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's just yelling, he's yelling me to do this. You're signaling too. your virtue by showing like how much you care about the relationship. I guess. Because, I don't know. Because he didn't do the kitty litter like he said he would. <laughs> this is not an argument I make. <laughs> Some people. Some people. Some there, people. There are those who. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, on the topic of canceling, uh, there's somebody who I thought about canceling myself for a little <gasps> bit. Which Wait, is, was it me? No, it's not you. Men try to uh, cancel me a lot. <laughs> no, your ba- your bad take on uh, vegetarianism. We can talk about that too. No, no, <laughs> it'll just get me angry. <laughs> um, so Joe Rogan uh, mm-hmm. has the most popular podcast on the internet, and uh, you know I've listened to it on and off. Um, I got into it in college a little bit, and. He'll, it's super guest dependent, right? The quality. It'll be like three hours long and some of them will be like with some brilliant physicist or something. And it's fun because Joe will be asking like these everyman questions mm-hmm. and uh, kind of coming up with like crazy ideas and like sometimes like, dude, what are you talking about? Then sometimes like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Or you'll at least get like something good out of the guest. But then he's also had like Ben Shapiro on who's terrible and like the really, the one that really made me be like, fuck this guy is Gavin McGinnis who's one of the f- co-founders of uh, Vice Media, who is a full-on fascist. Oh, yeah. started a gang and said, you should choke leftists out in public. Like, he... You should punch Gavin McGinnis. I'm yeah. saying it. <laughs> so much for the tolerant left. No, because he would be such a whiny bitch. It would be really funny. Yeah, He'd go down true. with one punch, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not advocating violence. I am. Punch Gavin McGinnis if you see it. He lives in so, Westchester. So, yeah. I mean, so he is full-on, like, the leader of a criminal gang advocating violence against people for, for their political views. Um, and Joe Rogan had him on a show. I, I didn't listen to it. Um, but I was just like, Jesus, this is like the last straw, right? Like this is mm-hmm. terrible. Um, but then recently he's had on Cornell West and very recently Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. And I uh, listened to both episodes. Um, and Cornell West, I think just, he's just an amazing arbiter for, mm-hmm. for the left and socialism. He's a humanist in the best way. Um, very well-spoken, knowledgeable about a huge range of topics. And like he brings, he goes to people where they are. And then Bernie is like, he's got a message that I think really will resonate with people when it's not filtered through corporate media. And the responses to both are really positive. And mm. I'm like, well, damn, like if I just canceled him, you know, yeah. I mean, not that it matters. Like I'm already in the tank for, for socialism. Right. right. But, um, you know, if, if I had not, I don't know if everybody had just gotten off the train, you're just left with like the all right people yeah. on it. Um, and if Bernie had decided not to go or Cornell West had decided not to go on, then I think that would have actually been a net bad. Um, yeah. Well, it, you know, it's at a certain point, it's just, it's practical. We don't live in should land. Um, Joe Rogan's podcast is really popular, um, but I've number one, s- and I've seen I, I, old coworkers of mine get radicalized from getting really into Joe Rogan, and they mm. got radicalized to the alt right, and like suddenly they were complaining about social justice warriors ruining, movie, ruining movies, and I'm like, where did this fucking come from? And it, and it came from being really into Joe Rogan, and that's just it was like a starting point for them. Yeah, you know, I don't know. We, it's a weird balkanized media landscape. It's really common for people to, you know, take in just a very limited amount of information. And if they are only getting their information from something like Joe Rogan or only Fox News, I think I, I think Bernie's arguments are going on. Those it makes a lot of sense. I think going on Tucker Carlson is a bad idea because he's explicitly doing white power. And that's basically all he does. Yeah. Well, it's white power combined with like uh, some not anti-capitalism necessarily, but mm-hmm. like anti-market fundamentalism. Yeah. Which it, is a really dangerous combination. That, the, the, the Nazi National combination. National socialism, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 there are a lot of things I love about Greenwald. I don't think he should be going on Tucker Carlson. Um, 
Angelina Nichols a dumb idiot for going on it. Uh, sorry, you you heard Ooh, it here. Tea. Dumb idiot. <laughs> <laughs> also the worst. Um, yeah, it, but yeah, no, I think it makes sense what Bernie did. I, the the town hall and Fox News yeah. and the Joe Rogan. Yeah, because sometimes it's the only way to reach people, and it's not great. It's not ideal. It would be nice to be able to be like totally pure about it, but we don't live in Shitland and. You know, I think it's interesting that Rogan is reaching out and, and getting interviews with these people, which he would not have done so before. Yeah. And we've made fun of him a lot at Current Affairs for that. But I mean, because Rogan at the end of the day is there to sell his weird ass supplements. Like that's his game. Bone and juice. <laughs> he, and if he can, thinks he can sell his bone juice with Bernie, I, you know, that's fine. But it, it's, we have to reach people somehow. We have to meet them where they are. Um Again, there's limits. Tucker Carlson, nobody has to go on Tucker Carlson. It's it's not legally required, Angela. God's <laughs> sake. Yeah, I mean, so Tucker is interesting because uh, I think Mike Gravel was invited on to either Tucker or Fox News. Oh, really? I, I might be wrong on this, but they put out a statement being like, no, and like, mm-hmm. how Fox News sucks, right? Yeah. And then Never Again Action, which organized uh, yeah. an action that we both went to, was invited on either Tucker or Fox News show, and they put out a statement saying no, and like for all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And, but it's kind of like, all right, great, you're pure, right? But mm-hmm. like now the message of like why we're protesting, you know, baby jails is not getting to is an that audience that would otherwise be hearing it. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems like your purity is coming at the expense of like movement politics and you yeah. know, actually getting your message out. Yeah, and I think you have to weigh that. Yeah. And uh, there was that, what was his name? Rutger. Uh, Rutger Bregman. Yes. And, and he went on to Tucker to, to, to destroy him. And, and, and Tucker didn't actually air it, but Rutger no. aired a yeah. video of him in the studio um, just roasting Carlson and, and Carlson just being a total asshole. And like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's glorious. <laughs> just Carlson just so shocked that anybody would push back because he only ever has on people that he he can agree with. And, yeah. you know, he's he's got Greenwald kind of under a spell there. And. That's it's that sucks. But if you're gonna go on a show, like you got to do a Rutger. It was that yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder like who uh, who else would be great arbiters for the left on, on these spaces. <laughs> um, that's a very good question. I think Nathan could do a pretty good job to be age. Yeah, yeah. It uh, depends on like how if they yeah. get over the accent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, the affect is a little tough. Um, Brianna Joy Gray. I think oh yeah, she, she's an amazing yeah. uh, messenger. I think for Joe Rogan uh, specifically, Felix Biederman from uh, Chapo Trap House. He would be wonderful there too. Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah, capture the MMA gamer bro. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's. I think there's a lot of people who could do it. Michael Brooks could do it. There's yeah. a lot of people who could, who could speak for us. Yeah. I mean, it's just like clear until recently, Joe was not interested in having anyone on from the left who wasn't, yeah. I think, uh, Abby Martin, who's like not mm-hmm. the best arbiter necessarily. I don't even know who that is. She's kind of a conspiracy theorist, um, oh. journalist. I, I don't know. I don't know very much about her, so I, I'll reserve my judgment. But she's not somebody who's going to radicalize people in the way that I would yeah. find productive. Yeah. Um, ContraPoints would be another good person. Oh yeah, Natalie yeah. is incredible. She's, she's fantastic. There's there's a lot of people who could do it, but it's the left is in a really tough place media wise, because we don't have the reach, we don't have the funding. It's really tough to get people to even find us. Yeah, the structural disadvantage is huge. Yeah, right? it's because enormous. You've got if you're like a right wing grifter, you're a Charlie Kirk. Um, you're just some dumb guy who. Yeah is conservative on college, uh, you'll get funding from like the Koch brothers or one of their affiliates mm-hmm. and to start your own media organization. And it doesn't have to be profitable. It doesn't have to be good, have a real listener base. You can just like prime the pump and, and get yeah. like a huge amount of audience just through like, yeah, being backed by some 
awful you know, right-wing billionaire. Daily Wire is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and on the left, like, and it's not to say that, like, somebody like Ben Shapiro doesn't have a real fan base. Like, he does. He mm -hmm. has a big reach. Of but, the like, worst people. Yeah. Just yeah. the worst shit kids <laughs> in the world. Yeah. I, I did debate for a while, and I don't think anybody I did debate with would have been persuaded by Ben Shapiro, but there's definitely this, like, attitude of, like, just winning the argument or, like, yeah. destroying somebody rhetorically and... Yeah, it's the opposite of finding truth or, or being, like, good. Some people weren't shoved into lockers enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you're going to make cuts in this oh episode. My this is the first we have to make cuts. I don't know. I don't know. so inflammatory. I don't, I don't, like, endorse everything my guests. Uh... <laughs> so that's a very Rogan response. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> See, then it's like, if, if you um, go off and do something cancel-worthy, am I now liable as well yeah, for that's having that... had you on? Well, and so, so that's, like, the other piece of the article is that there are there is there are these smaller environments where people don't have much power mm -hmm. where it actually cancellation actually is dangerous and scary because like it, it can actually if you are uh you know a, an artist on deviant art and you do something that somebody finds problematic and then you get canceled and maybe like you were making a living on small commissions that really fucking sucks yeah uh, you know and that and that does happen and that's a real issue but that's a huge difference than than a celebrity but yeah no people could come up to your tiny podcast because uh i've got very controversial ver views on a you know on shoving nerds into lockers hey, as long as they download it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah i don't know what people uh could or would do to me but <laughs> bring it on they'll, they'll yell at you online which yeah is, it's but it, terrible it, and i mean it does suck to be no, yeah. online to be fair like <laughs> it is awful it is there's somebody who like claimed they had they were just getting really attacked on on twitter they said they got ptsd from from twitter and yeah. social media and a lot of people like made fun of that but mm -hmm. like i don't know if you're getting death threats online no. i feel like that could be very traumatizing it's real human interaction i've had a couple of periods of time where people have gotten real you know the stupid poll people have been up in my meshes mm. and like these people are morons but they're they swarm yeah and if a bunch of morons and you can like okay individually i know that these people don't matter and and they're they're stupid but they're they're there and they're yelling at you and it, you know most people you take other human beings seriously enough that you all you know, part of your brain is always going well do they have a point yeah and that can be really unhealthy when a lot of people are yelling at you yeah and you haven't done anything wrong yeah and that really really sucks and that is it's real harassment yeah i mean and i think celebrities are just kind of used to this whereas yeah folks like us are, are not um yeah and it's it's scary when it happens and it's yeah. upsetting when it happens you can always mute things though yeah twitter has lovely mute functions <laughs> and then they're dead then they're dead and you killed them <laughs> oh my goodness um <laughs> you're gonna have to cut so much of no this. <laughs> no it's, it's all staying there um yeah i mean and then i guess like on the topic of comedy um do you think there are any topics that are really off limits no it's only how you do it yeah um i think for i think for art in general, I think anything. I think anything goes. Um, I, I think. I think Juno Diaz could have written the story that he wrote, and uh, you know, the, the the books that he wrote. I think they would have been fine. It's just you know, it's just this lack of awareness, and this lack of uh, lack of depth. Um, you know, it's a shame because Juno Diaz is a great prose stylist, but being unable to, you know, you can write really misogynist language that's fine but just the, the women had to be real characters for it to work and yeah. they didn't do that and you know that's that's a real issue yeah no i think you can do rape jokes i think you can you can you know uh, lolita is a great novel like there's nothing i don't think is ever artistically off limits but it, you have to do it in a way that is human and sensitive and 
takes in this this full and encompassing range. I think actually Lolita doesn't quite make it at the end in terms of being like completely, it doesn't completely see it from Lolita's point of view, which ends up being a problem mm. uh, because she's sort of destroyed at the end by the experiences rather than like being a per- like being a full adult person. Yeah, I mean, that seems plausible, right? <laughs> that does seem plausible, but it's, again, it's not, it's done in a way that it's more like his fantasy of what he did to her mm. rather than it being, it doesn't feel like her. It's a subtle difference, but I, I think it's, it's a real one and it's still a great novel. Yeah. Um, but no, I think you can make fun of anything. It's just, but and something I said on a, a current affairs episode a, a while ago, one of the early ones, that I think the, the stuff that you make jokes about, what you think is is on limits, like what do you think is funny, reflects a lot about y- you. It yeah. says a lot about you. It says a lot about the, your expected audience. And it doesn't mean that things are off limits, but it means that you need to think about what it, like who's worth making fun of and like what qualities do they have that are worth making fun of? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of implicit assumptions in humor. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you see this like very clearly in the forward, forward, forward grandpa email chain. Yeah. That's like some (laughs) racist or sexist joke. Yeah. Yeah. Where like you can see the the structure of the joke, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could see why somebody would find it funny, but it becomes not funny to you because of like, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, like my dad sent me, uh, this email thread about like funny, like, cop dog jokes or something oh my god and you know like so some of them were just kind of cute or like funny or whatever yeah but then some of them are like jokes about basically like putting you in prison for like having drugs on you and it's like no like <laughs> i don't find that funny <laughs> like the victim there is like you know like all the people languishing in american prisons for carrying drugs and that's like a lot of people and yeah. look at me like i'm the humorous leftist who cannot see past that um but I don't know. I, I can't see past it. <laughs> well, you can, and then it ends up not being funny. I mean, sometimes like something like that will like startle like a shock laugh out of you, mm-hmm. because you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe somebody made that joke. Yeah. But there's an idea that that humor. I mean, it's f- people who you know are really into comedy. Comedy nerds are like, oh, everything okay? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, people are really into comedy. Like, they they defend it with this this absolute seriousness that is extremely funny. Because, like, there's no... I'm trying to, like, imagine, like, a YA novelist being, like, YA novels are sacred. Yeah. You know, you can't... You can't critique uh, my love triangle. That's... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really, it's only in comedy because comedy is with this form of truth. And because comedy is, like, a very direct thing. You know, it's, it's very immediate. The way you laugh at a very uncomfortable joke, you know. Yeah. But th- that all being said, like, some shit is mean. And some shit, like it's mean in a way that isn't okay and it because it's mean in a way that reveals assumptions and an assumption that the comic is trying to share with you and make you feel and so when a comedian makes a racist joke you know it, it depends kind of on the framing of it but like they it might be trying to draw you in to that be like okay like you know you know how it is because you're like me and you agree with me yeah. and maybe you don't agree and you're like that's really gross and don't assume that i agree with you this, this is gnarly shit um in general, like the, the the sacred the sacredness around comedy is just I think just hilarious. Yeah, just like a ridiculous like you guys need to chill the fuck out. It, it's so funny too because comics will often like give people a lot of shit for mm-hmm. uh, being too sensitive. Oh <laughs> about yeah, their jokes. they're the most sensitive people in <laughs> the world. Special snowflakes. <laughs> but like again, like imagine a YA novelist responding to the kind in the same way that that a comedian responds to criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, like. It's, it would be ridiculous and, and we would make fun of the, of the novelist for being too sensitive. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and like, like, you know, you're supposed to be able to take a joke. You're supposed to be able to take criticism. Ricky Gervais is physically incapable of taking a joke. That's amazing. That's yeah. just like, how is that even possible? <laughs> that is, that is funny. Um, yeah. And, and I think, um, comedy is like an important tool, right? Mm-hmm. And there is something to be said for humorlessness on the left yeah, um, oh, within some spaces. Like, yeah, certainly the case. But I mean, one of the things I really do enjoy about current affairs is that it's chock full of amusements. Yes. Um, and I have the book in front of me, <gasps> the um, big book of amusements uh, that you put together with uh, Nathan Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and these mostly all appeared in, in the beautiful print edition of current affairs. But I think a bunch of them, I mean, they're very funny. They're beautifully illustrated. And they're great examples of how you can be transgressive without punching down. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be edgy and funny, but like the victim is not, yeah. you know, a migrant child. <laughs> it is the ICE officers detaining them. And you can make, I mean, there are jokes in there about migrant children. It's just, again, it's just the framing. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorites, and this is not even so much funny, but just like, holy shit. Um, it's one of those like highlights for children to spot the difference pictures oh, with a, a family one. detention center. And the only difference is the picture of the president on the wall, Obama versus Trump. <laughs> and the first time I saw it, I was like, holy shit, that yeah. is <laughs> really intense. Um, but like, no, it's just, it gets at something true and real. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of this shit was not started with Trump. And I feel like it is accessible in a way that just a, a heady article might yeah. not be. Well, that's the other thing. If, if the, the sacredness of comedy is because comedy is making a claim about truth. Well, then what's the truth? And mm-hmm. if you're if you're freaking out and you're sensitive because somebody says, "Hey, I don't think your interpretation of truth is right," then that that's really the issue. And then it's not the comedy. Nobody's really critiquing the comedy because when you say like, "Hey, I don't think your racist joke is funny because I think people are human and they're equal," you're and you're arguing, "No, no, no, it's still funny." But you don't. You're not willing to like. Ex, you're not willing to like admit to the the premise that you're actually arguing. Yeah. Which is that you're arguing people are not equal. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, there are definitely jokes that like again have the full. You'd recognize them as a joke. They yeah. would be like they would fit the alien definition of like yeah. human humor. Yeah. Um, but if you're just like not with the yeah yeah if you don't buy into that picture of truth, you're like this isn't funny. Yeah. This didn't. This didn't work. This yeah. Didn't work for me. I mean, some like guy who's probably living on the street. And uh, Height Ashbury came up to me and some other people was like, hey, like, want to know a joke, like women's rights. And it's like something that I heard in middle school. But oh, to, oh uh, really? To oh. have an adult like say that and like think it would get a laugh. And I was like, yeah. That like, might get a laugh out of me. Yeah. But that's not a laugh with. Yeah. That's yeah. a laugh at. <laughs> that, would be, that would actually be cute. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like other stuff going on there, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to. Yeah. Um, but no, it's just <laughs> humor is important. <laughs> like... <laughs> I think uh, one of the things, and I actually want to talk about uh, this this essay, uh, "Exiting the Vampire Castle," mm, yeah, by Mark Fisher. Um, it's from 2014, I think, uh, where he kind of talks about this like humorless, like identitarian left that yeah. is more focused on um, proving virtue and identifying transgressors than it is about like building a movement. And you cite it in the the cancel monster piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the people that Fisher is talking about are kind of doing just fine. They're fine. Yeah. They're yeah. fine. And, and so do you think Fisher was wrong? Or do you think that like the left actually changed I think since he, that time? I think he's partly right. It's a really good essay. And yeah, I return to it read. a lot. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I think he makes some really good points. I, I think it's true to a degree. I, I think the, sort of the the basic thesis there, and which is also sort of the basic thesis of Angela Nagel's book, um, 
where she, she talks about the alt-right, there's a, there's a grain of truth there that's really important, which is, and because I, I, I remember this very distinctly, in around 2014, what was available on the internet, there was, there was the alt-right and there was social justice space. And the social justice space could be very humorless. It could be really judgy. And it, it could do things like go after people on Tumblr for being slightly unwoke. And, and it could police these tiny, tiny little things in this really like aggressive way. And it didn't have any analysis of power. And then it would praise large corporations for making, you know, big budget movies with, with a person of color in it. Like they, like you that's have some... to see Wonder Woman. Otherwise, you're not a feminist. And Wonder Woman fucking sucked. It fucking sucked. And I'm still mad about that. I like how they're like... They pretend that Germany in World War One is Germany in World War Two. They did that. It's and like they, they're obviously the bad guys. It's like no, they're all the bad guys in well, World War One. And that was the thing that I, I that was actually the thing that I was bothered by more than yeah, anything is yeah. that the movie thought we were stupid and we yeah. didn't know the difference. Yeah. And it, and and it really did. And and then and then you weren't a feminist if you didn't like it. And that was, and they said that Lady Ghostbusters too, which is another shitty movie. Mm. And. So I do remember, like that. There, that was a time when things things were kind of like that, and I was really frustrated with the way identity politics was talked about. And then I read Brianna Joy Gray's article about identity politics, and I was like, "That's the shit." So how identity became a weapon against yes. the left. Yes, yeah. and because because it it was able to articulate all these ideas that were had been kind of swirling in my head, but I couldn't really put together. Yeah. And then she laid it out perfectly, and it's like like yes, there's oppression, there's awful stuff. Some of the time, the way we approach this, and we don't have this good analysis of power and material conditions, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, great, that's it, that's the thing. And so I think we have changed. I think it's part of it. I think hopefully people are getting starting to understand it a little bit more in terms of money, because money matters, material conditions matter, and you know who actually has power in the world. It's not randos on Tumblr, actually. Like, you know, and also like children are stupid. You know. I, I was I was dumb online when I was a teenager. I'm not going to criticize anybody else for being dumb online. That's what happens. Yeah, there's just a permanent record now. Yeah, well, yeah, and 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 there's a lot of ways in which that's really you know cause in my day, um, you had a screen name and you didn't give away your real name, and you know you you didn't you didn't talk that much about yourself. You if you were involved in like a fandom community. Twenty five M Brooklyn. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be the extent of your bio. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was you were very quiet about things, um, and so people didn't talk about identities much because they didn't talk about their own identities that much. And some of the talk about identity has been really great and really valuable, I think, for a lot of people. It was been valuable for me because um, sometimes it's, somebody will say something like, "Oh, I never thought about it that way," mm-hmm. and that's really you know, sometimes it's really helpful. Um, yeah, people can be shitty and witch hunty to each other, but also like there's a ton of sympathy expressed towards. We were talking about this earlier. We were, we were being sympathetic towards men who are lonely, who don't have any ability to touch each other. We, on the other hand, like, do we have any sympathy for marginalized people who like are treated shittily every day and then maybe are annoying online? Like, oh, how do we have sympathy for the one and not the other? And it's we are more likely to have automatic sympathy for white men than we are for anybody else. Yeah, because we're primed to. Yeah, because they're more primed to see them as people with interiority, people who are human, and that is a problem. And that is what social justice things have been really about. And I think you can have a nuanced opinion where you can say, like, yeah, some people online are really annoying, and yeah, sometimes this stuff can get too far, and sometimes it can do really, really awful things. But at the same time, some of it is really valuable. It's really important. And anybody who shits on identitarianism as if like as if white people aren't identitarian. You know, it, 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 people who do that are not serious leftists. Hmm. 
And I, I think we need to acknowledge that as such. People who think that the working class is like made up of like imaginary white people at the racism factory, um, <laughs> <laughs> as they say in Java. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, that's not what people are really like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think the focus on identity uh, and identity politics mm -hmm. is kind of what kept me from being like truly on the left in, in college. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until Chapo and, and Current Affairs that I really like came around to it. And I think mm -hmm. Brianna's article was one of the first uh, ones. And, you know, Current Affairs is not like anti-identity politics, mm -hmm. um, but it also, I think, talks about things in a way that incorporates like class and yeah. intersectionality in like the best way yeah. um, and it's it's insane to me that intersectionality has become this punching bag yeah word among like the you know anti-identity politics like liberal left or yeah. even like you know obviously conservative uh is not super intellectually serious but um the idea of intersectionality is just that like class and gender and race and sexuality and all these things layer on top of each other yeah. in ways where you know, it's possible for, to be, uh, you know, a black woman with like a, a law degree and a good job and have more power than a homeless white guy. Like, mm -hmm. it's possible that like in that situation, yeah. there's like, if you just limit to one mode of analysis, you're right. going to like not have a good conclusion about the world. Right. And then there's other situations in which like, you know, who's more likely to be menaced by police, like arguably both of them in different yeah. scenarios, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's a hard argument. A nuanced argument is not a hard argument to make, but people don't want to make it because, I mean, they want to be safe, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, if, if you don't have to be challenged on your assumptions, it hurts to realize that you have been holding in a bigotry, like that you've been holding on to some idea unconsciously. And I, I think it helps to remember that it's, it's not your fault personally. You were raised in a racist society and a bigoted society. Um, I've been thinking a lot about fat phobia lately because just realizing how much of that I have internalized mm. um, and it really sucks you know and it, it, I uh, recently it was a couple months ago but I I was at an event and I met a writer that I really liked um, and I, I didn't know what she looked like at all and I never met her in person and I just saw this enormously fat woman like the fattest woman I've ever seen and it didn't occur to me until like a, a little while later like oh that's her oh wow because it because I couldn't put it together in my head that this very very large woman could be somebody that I really liked mm. And I felt like such an idiot after that. But it was good that I felt like an idiot because I was an idiot. Yeah. And that's okay to acknowledge. Because, I, again, like, I didn't make up fat phobia, you know. Yeah. But I, it's good to acknowledge that you're feeling something like that. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think, like, one of the ways to, to move past this is, like, you know, I, I went to a public high school, but it was, like, 98% white, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until college that I really got to know, like, people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, in ways that just like made it very hard to have stereotypical views yeah. about different like racial groups. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is like a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, if you don't go to college or if you go to like a commuter school that kind of reflects where you grew up, like it's very easy to just be in the same kind of situation. And then there's like also, you know, material reasons why media organizations want to perpetuate yeah. um, you know, racist or sexist stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And I think like there are ways to bring people to like, you know, better and more productive ways about thinking about mm -hmm. everyone else that uh, alienate them. And there are ways that like actually bring them along for the ride. Um, Brianna's, and, yeah. yeah. Oh, Brianna's got another really great article about shame, which I think is yes. really wonderful. Yes. Um, I, what is it called? Uh, I can't I'll, remember I'll what it's called. Yeah. And she talks about, you know, shaming people doesn't really work because it just makes them feel bad. 
Yeah. And I think there are definitely ways that you can call people out. There's this idea. There's like, I think people have this fantasy in their head. They have a fantasy DSA meeting in their head. And in this fantasy DSA meeting, a, a white working class guy in like a, like a construction worker's cap walks in and he says something about trans people and everybody says, no, out with you. You are bad. And they just, oh. You know, and then they, they, they then they high five. That's that's every meeting. (laughs) There's always one that one guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's. It's like I guess we just have to throw out the white working class. It's the only way. It's the only way forward. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not a real scenario that would happen. I really don't think. I mean, it could in some circles, but like it's the thing that I think is far more likely to happen and should be the thing that happens is like you pull that guy aside afterward and you're like, hey, that like. That kind of bothers people, and this is why. Mm-hmm. And like, there's ways to explain that. It's for uh, transness in particular is one of those things that a lot of people just don't really understand and know yeah. about. Yeah, up until a few years ago, like it wasn't something that I, oh, I yeah. was that aware of. It was know? a punchline. I yeah. mean, it was for a lot of people. John Stewart, John, uh, yeah, the honorable chick with dick, like. Oh yeah, that and that it's. And it was a huge laugh line, and like yeah. nobody, I don't think anybody wrote like a, <laughs> at yeah. least in a mainstream source, a criticism of him. Transphobic jokes were everywhere yeah. in the media until just a couple of years ago. Yeah. So a lot of people just don't know any better. But in, I don't think the response from most people is going to be off with their heads. But it can't also be to like let it go mm-hmm. because we have trans comrades and like you know it's it, this it, this is it, in, this is a group for everybody. It's got to be for everybody. Yeah. But you don't have to be an asshole about it. And I think IRL, people are less likely to be assholes than they are online about this sort of thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, the what Fisher advocates in the piece um, mm-hmm. is to like move beyond just getting your identity recognized by like the bourgeois other yeah. um, and replicating like these hierarchies just with like a different cast of characters um, and trying to build a like, comradeship um, yeah. through like real life organizing. and. The DSA norms uh, that they talk about in meetings are, I think, really great. It's like yeah. be charitable, like assume the other person like has good intentions, and and like assuming people have good intentions in politics writ large is a great recipe to just get like screwed over, yeah, um, and duped out of your money or <laughs> whatever is it true. is. Um, but like within the DSA or within effective vouchers and within a community where you have reason to believe that the people around you share your values yeah it's so much more productive to not be trying to get them for everything they say right and because that if people are in an environment where they think that that could happen to them they get really defensive it won't they come really again shitty. yeah they won't come again it's, it's like they don't have to be there yeah um it's yeah i think making people feel welcome uh is is really important but yeah. you also sometimes one person feeling welcome comes at the expense of somebody else being feeling welcome. right right so there you have to be able to balance that and be sensitive to that and I think it's extremely doable and I think the people who are saying that it's hard that it can't be done have an agenda and it's either they're conservatives and they don't want the left to succeed or they are the type of left some, some leftists just want to be cool like mm-hmm. there's that's it's unbelievable to me but there's still that type or they just they want to be able to be racist and they just they really really just want to be racist and they want to be able to make you know, really off-color jokes and have people laugh at them. And, you know, you you have the right to make any kind of joke you want, but you, you're not entitled to a good reception from your audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, transgression is, I think, a big part of intimacy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, with my roommate, um, we'll just, like, do weird stuff mm-hmm. to each other that, yeah. like, would never be acceptable to do a oh, stranger. Yeah. You'd get, like, punched, but, like... Oh, yeah. It's, like, because we're friends. It's, like, this... Yeah. 
I don't know if it's virtue signaling or what, but it's just like, oh yeah, of course we can do this. And like with like couples too, it's like, oh, yeah. oh I just like licked your forehead like for no reason. Like that's the normal thing. Yeah, yeah. Normal. And, <laughs> but but like transgression um, can also be, you know, there's violating like harmless social norms, yeah. and then there's violating like social norms that exist for a reason. And, I have a, a close friend who's also Jewish, and we. I mean, like, if you looked at our chat logs, you would be like, these these are some anti-Semitic people. But, like, we, between us, we can do that. But yeah. it's a private conversation. Yeah. And it's a totally different ballgame. And nobody's saying you can't have fun and you can't make even really bad jokes. But it's so much. And it's funny. Ironic racism gets brought up into this a lot. Ironic racism is all about knowing your audience. Mm-hmm. And that's all about creating the character. And mm-hmm. if you, like, this is the character of a person who says a terrible thing. Um, you have to have that bond you have to make it clear that that's the character and you have to have that bond with the audience that they understand what you're doing. Uh, and I mean, there's always people who just won't, won't get anything or, you know, are so primed to hate, you know, so primed to, to be upset about something. That's, that's a true thing. But for the most, most of the time when people get yelled at for a bad joke, it's because it was a bad joke. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't think anybody should ever get death threats over jokes. Um, but, you know, and, and there have been some cases I've seen where people get yelled at for a joke that, was edgy but i don't think offensive but you know but people are allowed to feel the way that they feel just because i don't feel like a particular edgy joke was offensive doesn't mean somebody else won't feel that way you know you are not entitled to people to nobody's nobody's legally required to like you that's true i'm sorry although when the revolution comes (laughs) that'll be the first mandate everyone has to like me in particular me in particular and you know we have to get all the the incels girlfriends yeah those are the two those are the only two platforms that's it that's it um i think this has a mass movement ready to go we actually there is a mass movement ready to go that's the horrible oh yeah that's true that's true if you think they're excited about andrew yang's thousand dollars a month if he's promising them girlfriends like oof watch out Oh, shit. Like, should we, like, tell his campaign that's a good idea or not tell his campaign that's a <laughs> no, good idea? this can never go out. Well, <laughs> do you have to destroy these tapes now? <laughs> these ideas are, are too dangerous to be to be seen. We're going to bury them to in the heard. dirt for a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Andrew Yang seems like a well-intentioned guy. That's uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you should anyway try. I, I don't think he'd be a good president, and I no. think his policies would not end up being good. But like, you know, he seems like there was one where like Pete Buttigieg was asked, uh, like, "What's your favorite curse word?" He's like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't know oh, if I should say God. that." Andrew Yang was asked. He was like, "Fuck!" Just immediately. <laughs> that rules. And it's like, yeah, he's like, he's like not a politician. Yeah. Uh, Bernie's also like got all that all those qualities and the actual policies behind it too so that's why he's adorable and we like him yeah yeah, yeah. it's because he i mean and and it, it also is a problem because sometimes he will say a thing that is a little bit like what an old white man says about race yeah. which isn't necessarily racist but it's a little bit like ugh, yeah phrase yeah. that a little better but he's actually saying what he's actually thinking mm-hmm. and when you're not polished and you're not just trying to get people to like you you are going to say things that are not a hundred percent woke all the time, especially if they're taking out of context, which they frequently are in his case. Yeah, and and no candidate has done more of their careers to fight for the yeah. rights of people of color and women. Yeah, than, and the LGBT yeah. community. But that being said, when he says a dumb thing, I think it's okay to yell at him for sure. And yeah, should, you don't he, get like yeah. a get out of racism free card. No, nobody does. <laughs> and he should be able to. He should have to be able to take it. Like that's the thing, and that's what I think is is frustrating and, and scary for people about cancel culture. I think what people are scared of in cancel culture isn't that they'll get canceled for something that they didn't do. They're, get, they're afraid they'll get canceled for something that they did do. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be, they don't want the other people to be right. Yeah. If people are mad at you because they think you did a racism, but you don't think you did a racism, that's one thing. But 
if they're mad at you and you know in your heart you did a racism, then you feel really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's criticisms like, you know, when I get criticized from the right, I don't think very much about it. Yeah. When I get criticized from the left, it's yeah. like it sticks with me quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'm like, oh, like, well, like, maybe I have not thought about this, like, hard enough. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's always important to be, like, being the right level open to criticism yeah. and, and updating your beliefs and, yeah. you know. But you don't want to be taken advantage of by people who are just going to brigade you and, and make you, like, they're going to gaslight you into thinking that, like, what you did was actually bad when really they're just, like, bad faith actors. Right. And, again, when you're t these, like, smaller, like, Tumblr kind of communities, I've seen this with, like, the YA novel community a little bit where basically like one person will read an advanced copy of advanced reader copy of a book and decide it was racist and then everybody decides that that person knows is is right mm. even though nobody else has read it and mm. i i hate that because i think that's really it's awful and this is a really small community where you know it's a lot of marginalized women writers and they're not getting paid very much but there's high competition to get your book out there and once in a while a YA novel will blow up and become a hunger games or whatever and everybody's kind of hoping for that payday and so i think like at the same time where you're like this isn't a good thing you have to acknowledge like what are the material things that lead to these kinds of these internal fights and those kind of fights are sad they're just sad for everybody yeah yeah i mean you see like careers getting destroyed yeah. over something and it's like yeah. relatively harmless because a lot of the time if you really if you're reading this in advance read a copy of the book and you felt that there was something bigoted about it you would contact the person that yeah. would always be the and it's 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 interesting when you see that that's not the response that people have to handle it privately. Because if you really were trying to just help somebody and be like, look, I'm sure you didn't mean it this way. I'm taking you in good faith. I don't think you meant this. You would go, you would DM them. But, but again, virtue signaling. But it's virtue. But and it's, and it, you know, it, it builds your own brand. Mm -hmm. And that's true. And people do use it that way. And it, and it sucks. But at the same time, like there's material pressures for people to do things like that. And I think we have to, you have to sort of acknowledge all of that, all of these factors that go into it. And it doesn't mean that canceling is good or bad. It's just, it's a thing that's happening. And people are really frustrated and angry. <laughs> and maybe they don't always take out their anger in the best ways. Sometimes they do take out their anger in good ways. You know, it's, it's, it's too complicated to just say cancel culture good, cancel culture bad. Yeah. Yeah, there was a... It might have been a current affairs or a New Yorker piece. I, I can't remember. Um, but it was about like the Oscars and mm -hmm. um, the left or liberals fighting for representation in the Oscars and yeah. all this stuff. And it's kind of like looking for your car keys where the light is. Um, yeah. It's like there's such cultural hegemony yeah. uh, within like Hollywood and music, like all these things um, where the left are. I don't want to say the left liberals or like, you know, yeah. identitarian and whatever ideas mm -hmm. are, are so dominant. And it's kind of just like continuing to drive home that dominance on like campuses and like yeah. all these places. Um, and it's not fighting the hard fight. Yeah. <laughs> it is not organizing tenants who are, you know, like not getting hot water in the winter yeah. in New York. It's, it's not um, fighting ice and, you know, baby jails. It's like, easy to get mad on twitter about mm -hmm. the oscars and like that's not to say that representation doesn't matter right um it's just like again it's looking where the light is one of my chief frustrations with liberals and, and i've had these conversations with them and i think they're really fascinating um there's actually it was actually a speech i went to by a, a pretty famous uh woman writer who's really popular right now and it was a it was a speech at a feminist conference and everybody thought the speech was brilliant and i i didn't like it mm. i was like the only person who didn't like it because what she, what it boiled down to, she was talking about representation. 
and she's talking about the importance of representation in media. And she essentially made the argument that it's the only thing that matters and the only way to fix things is to change the narrative. The only way to fix all of our problems is to just, you know, if you put enough people of color in things, put enough women in things, that will change the narrative and there's just like this incremental change towards justice. It's an idealist view of history. It, it, it's, it's funny, it's an idealist and it's a pessimist view. Yeah. Um, because I think it, it's it, it's saying that there are no material things that can be done. There are no tweaks. That can, there's nothing you can do, even electorally, you know, got, you know, organizing, God forbid, but even on an electoral level, there's, oh, except electing a woman. And it's a lot of the same people who, you know, are all in for Elizabeth Warren but hate Bernie and, like, don't recognize, like, actually, they're reasonably close. Yeah. That it's, the, the identity and changing the, the color and, the, and the, the gender of people in power, that's all that they can see. That's the only thing that they think is a thing that's going to work. Yeah. Because, and, and a lot of them are wealthy mm-hmm. or upper middle class or, you know, middle class enough. And they, you might have to give up something and they don't want to give up something. And I, I, I find that just, just the most immensely frustrating thing. So I get why people are mad at social justice people. And I get like, when it's just that, when it's just people saying you need to go watch Wonder Woman. Yeah. You know. And that is definitely a take. That is a, there's a yeah. segment of liberals or what you can call them the left i would not really consider mm-hmm. that a left nope. <laughs> position um, <laughs> gotta be at least a bit of a materialist yeah like <laughs> semi-materialist yeah class class matters as well yeah. um yeah i mean that's just like it's it's kind of on the face of it not it's dumb it just misses things and yeah. people see that and like it's only going to appeal to like a very small segment yeah. of people it's not conducive to mass movement politics yeah. which is like the only way we get out of this that, um, that is virtue signaling actually. yeah yeah and uh yeah, I mean, it's like, it also is, this is a tricky argument because in some ways it's more pernicious to have the ruling class be um, mm-hmm. uh, a rainbow coalition, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Um, if the ruling class like perfectly mimicked uh, society in, in mm-hmm. racial and gender and sexual lines, then it would seem more legitimate. And like, maybe yeah. it would be, um, right? Like, if there are going to be inequities, you don't want them to be like cluster on identity categories that are right. out of people's control. Um, but like we should be fighting those inequities in the first place. <laughs> well, and and I think for a fair amount of liberals, that is their ideal world. What you've just described, mm-hmm. they are totally fine with the poverty. Goldman Sachs like executive yeah, exactly. suite is like fifty fifty male to female. Yeah. It's like fourteen percent black and like sixteen percent Latino, like whatever. Yeah, and and then the spectrum of poverty is fully represented and somehow yeah, somehow <laughs> that's not actually how it works. Well, because it only works if you ignore class. It right? only works if you ignore class. Yeah. Because what does it mean to be a poor Goldman Sachs executive? <laughs> but yeah, but if they, I, I think they, they look at the high rates of poverty among black people, high rates than white people, and and what bothers them is not the poverty, but the unfair, unfairly shared nature of it. Mm. Because at a certain point, I think there's a fair number of liberals who do believe in their hearts that like, you know, if you work hard, if you're virtuous, you should be able to make it, which means that other people don't. Or that some people just have to be poor. Some like, people just, just have to be poor. Because, sorry, we can't get around it. Well, we haven't figured out a way to get people out of poverty. Who can, how can you prove who who's deserving, who mm-hmm. matters, and, and you know who's worthy if there aren't people who are unworthy? Yeah. And they just want that unworthy pool to be legitimate. Yeah. Like, they just want it to be. They want it to be an equal, an equal amount of of that, or maybe like you know, maybe slightly disproportionate if you know if it were reversed in like you know historically different directions that would be okay for them too yeah i mean the the idea of meritocracy meritocracy can be uh 
a chilling have a chilling effect yeah. on uh, social movements like yeah. if you think that the american dream is real and and that like anybody can make it anywhere yeah because like ben carson became a neurosurgeon yeah um, like it's an inspiring How story like though well, that's like some people are very smart at like one thing but that's like crazy because like imagine like okay you're he's a really good one too <laughs> well that's like lying on the table and like you're like okay you're going under the anesthesia and you just hear him like talking about like his whatever bullshit yeah, yeah. that is not about neurosurgery you'd like fuck 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 like fuck. he sounds like he's the one being anesthetized <laughs> he does. maybe maybe he was uh, he's been taking the sauce i saw him speak in college and it was one of those batchet speeches i've what did he ever say? seen i don't remember it was totally insane though i would like be with him like on some point and then like Two seconds later, I'd zone out and come back in and be like on some entirely. Yeah, I, I wish I could uh, find something from that. But like the man is totally nuts. Totally nuts. Yeah. How could he? But he was a great surgeon. He's so really good at he separated conjoined twins for the first time. Is that what he did? Yeah. Wow. He was like famous for that. Um, Dang. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think the Chapo people had a conversation like, would you let Ben Carson do neurosurgery on you? I mean, he has a good record. Yeah. At this point, he's a little old. Like, you know, your yeah. hands start to get... Uh, mm, a little shaky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I think I'd pick other uh, somebody else first. Yeah. Or you Ron know. Paul being your gynecologist. That... that there's an advertisement for Ron Paul, <laughs> the gynecologist, in the big book of amusements. And I laughed out loud the first time I saw it. He really was a gynecologist. Yeah. Which is, you know, just pretty gnarly. What What is his stance on abortion? Um, I think he's against it, like a like a true libertarian. <laughs> like against it, but is well, it like, when it's like I'm personally against it, or like a lot of libertarians are against abortion because they're misogynists. Mm. So well, they'll say it violates not... a non-aggression principle, right? If there's personhood for the fetus, oh yeah, well, that could be consistent, but like, well, it's yeah, about non-aggression towards the woman, yeah, but the yeah. women aren't people, so it's okay. <laughs> I get it, I get it. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh my goodness! So like, we've thoroughly gotten ourselves in trouble with this one. Um, You're gonna get canceled. Yeah, That's we're both gonna fault. get canceled. Oh, well, you're yeah. already canceled. I so. get canceled a lot. I yeah. get canceled every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Leda, where can we find you? And what would you uh, like to plug? Um, well, the Big Book of Amusements. It Which is, I'm holding. It, it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is fun. It will wow your friends and astound your enemies. Um, it's a great thing to have on your coffee table and start some fun conversations. Yeah. Um, a lot of the games in it are fully playable. Um, it's amazing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, get the Big Book of Amusements. Uh, you should subscribe to Current Affairs if you haven't already. We are the best magazine. I would agree. Yeah. I'd like, sorry. Sorry. All, sorry, all other magazines. Yeah. It's just, it's just facts. I mean, you're the first to publish me in print, so... Yeah, clearly... <laughs> <Must be the best. laughs> um, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, um, you can get me on Twitter, um, at Lida underscore gold, if I'm not cancelled, if I'm not muted, muting everybody. Um, yeah, I think those are the main places. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, it was really fun. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so problematic. You, you are out of control. <laughs> This has been The Most Interesting People I Know. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. I don't know why this matters, but every other podcast I listen to asks people to do this. Music is by me. Podcast design is by Jacob Abrowitz. I hope you enjoyed the show.